Hello everybody and welcome to Manga Mavericks. We're a podcast discussing manga as both a medium and as an industry. I'm your host, Lumramiyasha, and on this episode we're starting off an exciting new year of the podcast by taking a look back at Natsuki Takaya's generation-defining shoujo classic, Fruits Basket. A manga exploring a family course that's both literal and metaphorical. Joining us to discuss this venerable series are none other than the hosts of one of the premier Fruits Basket podcasts on the web, Ellen and Kayla of Let's Stay Together. We had a great time discussing our favorite characters, themes, and how the series' messages have resonated with us over the years. There's a lot of delicious talking points to be found deep in this Fruits Basket, and we picked and plucked at it until we had our fill. Everything changes and everybody changes, but what hasn't changed is our love for this series. But before we get into the show, I want to remind everyone to take our 5th anniversary commemorative survey. We're approaching the 5th anniversary of this podcast and our 150th episode, and we want to celebrate by hearing what you guys have responded to most about the show this past half decade. Vote for your favorite episodes, guests, moments, and more, and let us know what you'd like to see us discuss on the show, and and who'd you like us to have on in 2021 and beyond. And as a special thank you to our listeners and survey takers, everyone who participates in the survey will be entered into a special giveaway, in which five winners will be selected to receive a free manga of their choosing, be it a classic like Video Girl Eye or a modern favorite like High School Girl. The Fruits Basket sticker collection that Tokipop put out a long time ago is one of the prizes you can win. So if you're a Furuba fan who wants some nice Furuba stickers, take our survey for a chance to win the book. The survey is open through the morning of Sunday, January 24th, so you've still got two weeks to enter in. We'd love to celebrate our 5th anniversary with as much feedback on the show as possible, so we'd be really grateful and honored if you join us on our celebration by sending in your thoughts. Ah man, just thinking about all the wonderful memories we made on this podcast over the past 5 years bringing tears to my eyes. But instead, I think it's time for our tears to dissolve in the thin air as we drink up this wonderful life. So let's all gather, enjoying the company we share, as our Fruits Basket retrospective bears fruit. gosh, I'm so surprised. The characters in this manga, they're all, they're all animals! <laughs> or, that's not even the most surprising part about them. But we'll get into that because today we are talking about the classic 
one of the biggest hits of the 2000s. We are talking about Fruits Basket by Natsuki Takaya. This series was super huge, one of the defining titles in the fandom of the 2000s, and we are talking about not the original classic manga today, and yeah, just revisiting it as the new anime adaptation is continuing on, having just concluded, or is about to conclude at the time of this recording, its second season, and yeah, just sharing our thoughts on it. And we have some really great guests here today to talk about Fruits Basket with us, and I'm so excited to introduce them. Ellen and Kayla of Let's Stay Together, a Fruits Basket-centered podcast. Hi, guys. Thank you for coming on. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really excited to have you guys on because... I glommed onto your show pretty early in your guys' run because you guys started last March just ahead of when the new anime started airing. Mm. And at that time, I had just uh, finished a rewatch of the original 2001 anime adaptation. And I was like, really in the mindset of, oh, I want to hear talk about Fruits Basket, you know, just take all of that in. And I just ended up searching and found your guys' podcast. And I remember listening to it like on my way to the theatrical screening of those first two episodes that Formation did. So, yeah, I've really been enjoying your show and your guys' discussion of Fruits Basket. And, yeah, I guess I'd like to get into your guys' own histories of Fruits Basket for our listeners. But I guess before we even do that, we'll explain the premise of Fruits Basket. Which is, as I sort of alluded to in my opening uh, intro here, it's a series about a young girl named Toru Honda. After her mother dies, she goes to live with her grandfather. But when her grandfather's place is undergoing renovations, she has to live on her own for a little bit in a tent. And she kind of pitches up in the Soma estate. She is actually covered by these someone who are like like this very big family who have their hands in a lot of different careers and mm. business things. And there's like a it, the family is like 150 members long. They have a big estate where there's an inner compound and then an outside compound. It's extremely enormous. But mm. she encounters someone who's just living on their own in like a house like way way farther from the main compound and that's Shigure and living with Shigure is uh, two boys who go to the same school as Toru, Yuki and Kyo and so they discover her and because it's dangerous to live out in the woods alone (laughs) uh, (laughs) and rightfully so because like a mudslide happens that crushes where Toru was living. So it was a good thing she was taken into their home <laughs> at the right moment. But yeah, so she ends up living with them. But the Somas have a secret, and that is when they are hugged by uh, someone of the opposite sex, they transform into animals. So they are basically cursed by that. And at first, Toru kind of just takes it in stride. She's, like, excited about it. And she's, like, whenever a new member of the Z- Somas come up who is a member of the Zodiac, she's, like, 
oh, I'm so excited to find out what animal this person is. But as the series goes on, she comes to learn that there's a lot more going on in the Soma family in terms of a lot of traumatic stuff and a lot of resentment, abuse, and Toru becomes motivated to help the members of the family break free from the cycle, especially guys because she especially close to Kyo, who even among the Somas and the Zodiacs is an outcast as like the thirteenth member who is not a part of the official twelve, mm. who is cursed even more <laughs> with an additional <laughs> I like that description. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if everyone is cursed, like, Kyo has an even greater burden uh, that he has to live with. (laughs) And he also has a ticking clock of being confined forever inside the Soma state that Toro becomes increasingly desperate to prevent as she grows to love him. So... Yeah, there are so many characters in the series because we have the 12 Zodiacs, we have Toru's friends, we have the student council that becomes more prominent uh, in the midway point of the series. So there is a lot, a lot to talk about. It's quite a big ensemble cast and a lot of characters get really great development. So I'm really excited to dig into that. But yeah, to turn once again to you guys... When did you discover Fruits Basket initially, and how have your experiences been, you know, reading it the first time and then revisiting it? Kayla, do you want to go first? Uh, sure. Yeah, I first started, I was first uh, introduced to it in high school, um, I think by you and your sister. <laughs> <laughs> we went to the same high school. Perhaps. We did. Would have been probably like 2002, 2003, something like that. And yeah, I saw the uh, the anime adaptation first, too, which is a lot more... Uh, lighthearted than the manga <laughs> we'll say one might say that yeah but um yeah in that time period i was pretty into like if i saw an anime i'm like but what's the manga like so i started reading the manga which was being uh translated and put out by tokyo pop at the time and uh yeah mostly kept up with it over time would fall off for a little while and then be like oh i'm behind on fruits basket i should catch up on that and then uh, yeah eventually Finished it out a little while after uh, the English release came out. Nice. And uh, how about you, Ellen? So I started getting into anime basically in like middle school, probably. And some one of my friends in middle school introduced me to Furuba. I was really into like Inuyasha at the time. It was on Adult Swim, so everybody saw it. Like everybody had the <laughs> opportunity to watch the <laughs> anime, right? Um, and this person was like, my friend was like, oh, if you um, if you like that, you'll probably like this thing called Fruits Basket. Here, like, let me loan you my super sketchy bootleg DVD <laughs> of it with awful subtitles. And we were like, cool. So, so I watched that. I think I actually might have read the first or a couple volumes or first volume of the manga first and then watch the anime. But by then they were still pretty much the same, like content wise and levity wise. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. And I guess... And I really enjoyed it. And I kept up with it also while it was being published by Tokyo Pop up to the point where I think I even read up to trying to find like scans at toward the end of the release because I was like, oh, all this stuff is happening. It's so crazy. <laughs> They're all like, oh, my God, it's Kyo and Toru. They're like getting so close and all these things are happening. And so it was like, you know, that was my experience with it the first time. And then over time, 
Um, even going, even as an adult, like when I went to university, I didn't bring many books with me, but I brought all of Furuba because that was important. So I've kept them <laughs> with me, and uh, it's always it's nice. Like there's a lot of lessons that you can learn from it, and different different things made an impact for me at different times in my life. So I've always kind of like turned back to reading certain parts over and over again, but never the whole thing, which is why we started our our part of we started our podcast because. Uh, the anime was coming out. It seemed like a good time, and it's a series that I love very much. And it was a good opportunity to go back and really dig into the whole thing in retrospect. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's my experience with the series, and I love the new anime that's coming out. So yeah, I think it's a great adaptation. Yeah. That's wonderful. I know that Fruitsback Skit was a really formative series for a lot of people, and my first exposure to the series was also when I was younger. I actually first saw the 2001 anime when it was airing on Colors TV's uh, <laughs> Funimation channel block, yeah. where it basically <laughs> played uh, every day uh, in at around 7.30ish. Uh, it was like in a block with Kodocha, like <laughs> they were playing in the same hour, which is pretty appropriate pairing as like to very classic 90s shoujo anime that mm-hmm. also happen to share the same director. So yeah. very similar sensibilities there. But yeah, because it was playing for like two years uh, at the time slot, there were a lot of things that were kind of embedded in my brain, namely the music, uh, <laughs> the opening and ending theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, those have always reverberated in my head. And so I watched it a lot on there. And then later, because... It was airing like on weekdays. Uh, I was didn't like necessarily watch the series in order, episode one to twenty six. Mm-hmm. So I last tried to do that in twenty ten. I remember, but then after that, I never ended up checking out the manga or even rewatching the anime until last year. Uh, I did read uh, the manga. Uh, prior to last year but mm-hmm. only up through like volume six basically yeah, the anime yeah where the anime ends uh, the reveal of Kyo's uh, utter transformation and so i never ended up like reading the entire series and for no particular reason even though i really enjoy the series just because i just never got around to it mm-hmm. even though i had collected most of the original tokyo pop release which i read for this show Mm -hmm. i have like 20 of the 23 volumes and i basically bought digital copies of like the last uh, couple volumes last two volumes uh to finish off the series so i thought going from the tokyo pata again translation was interesting in that respect too Mm -hmm. but yeah they are different yeah (laughs) it's interesting there was a great tread from Jacob Chapman a few right. years ago where he was going through the differences in the first three volumes. And there's a lot that is uh, changed in terms of dialogue. Mm-hmm. And it really does seem like the Yen uh, translation was more faithful to the original intent when it came to like characterization and thematic ideas. Mm-hmm. Which definitely leads me curious to revisit the series through the Yen translation at a later time, too. But for the most part, I stuck with the Tokipop just because that's what I had on hand. I bought most of the volumes like in bulk 
a point in early college. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I never read past the first six, but I really wish I had. I The series has a lot of stuff that really spoke out to me. It really uh, tugged at and tore out my heart. There's a lot of messages in the series about being kind to yourself, to others, and struggling with, you know, very complicated and fraught relationships with family and friends. And yeah, it's it's really moving and powerful and incredibly emotionally mature. Mm -hmm. And I... It tore up many times while reading it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tearjerker. Yeah, it's kind of a... Yeah, it is. <laughs> and it's also, like, it's a it's a mature series in the disguise of, like, a shoujo, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it... You get drawn in... I think a lot of people, especially, like, I mean, we were, like, like I was in middle school. You we were in early high school, Kayla. Like, it's, like, you get drawn in by, like, oh, everybody's staring at animals. So cute. Oh, it's so funny. Ah, oh, she's <laughs> so funny. This is great. And then you start to read it a little bit farther into the series, and you're, like wow, there is like crazy family drama here. And those are the things that are like most impactful, I think, Mm -hmm. in the series. The early stories are relatable, but like the deeper development and like, you know, people like Toru overcoming their deep sort of um, repressed emotional trauma (laughs) becomes so much more. It's something that that really endears me to the series, I think. Mm -hmm. Something that I think adults can look at and an older like teens can look at and maybe it doesn't impact you that much at the time but like if you read it later something happens and changes in your life like can make a big difference i think yeah i think it's a good series to like start out at around that age and kind of grow up with it but yeah it also it's kind of like harry potter you you know yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah you get like different things from it reading it at different points in life yeah absolutely i mean i definitely think like some of the deeper uh, stuff flew over my head when I was a kid because when I first started I was probably like 10 11 mm-hmm. when I first saw the series but yeah so like even the last time I tried watching it I was only 13 or 14 uh, well, before mm-hmm. we're visiting it last year so I I remember there were a lot of think messages that stick out to me back then like early on the conversation Toru has with Yuki, Yuki's very down on himself because he doesn't see himself as a kind person or capable of being as kind as Toru. And Toru tells him, my mom, you know, told me that people aren't really born kind. It's like something you kind of learn, but there's different shapes of kindness and Mm -hmm. you are kind in your own way. And so there were messages like that that really uh, reverberated my memory, as well as a lot of the, you know, tragic backstories like Atori's and Luigi's. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate that this series, I think one of the best messages it has for younger readers uh, and watchers is that it is okay not to be a perfect person or have things figured out because yeah. it shows that even a lot of adults in this series, even someone that is looked up to as like the paragon of being incredibly kind and a wonderful person, Kyoko, or mm-hmm. his mom. Like, they are all like struggling with insecurities and doubts in their own way. They're all trying the best they can. Mm-hmm. And the ultimate message is you know, it's okay to stumble around and make mistakes in life, but those mistakes are important. You need them to help you grow. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that 
Kyoko says to Orisa in her flashback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like crap, but it'll help you grow. One of my, <laughs> one of <Yeah>. my favorites. <laughs> yeah, you're totally right. Like the adults are definitely not, it's not like they're um, free from their own struggles, especially even like Akito, somebody who's seen as being super in power in the beginning of the series. You can see that Akito's experience through this story really shows how much change people can go through, I guess, as adults and that it's okay to just because you're like, quote unquote, grown up, it doesn't mean that you have to have everything figured out and that you will have everything figured out because life will change, right? Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and it's never too late to change yes. or to embrace new things. I think we see that most especially with Hattori yeah. and Kareno. It's like, these are people who are kind of feel trapped and are kind of complacent of like, okay, I'm in the summer family fulfilling this role <laughs> and I've kind of given up on ever finding personal individual happiness ever again. And a lot of that is out of the obligation they have to the family and to Akito. Mm-hmm. But slowly over the course of the series, they do start to fight in their own ways for that individual happiness and realize, no, I should allow myself to be happy and not feel trapped here. And honestly, that is probably best for the person I'm feeling obligated towards Mm -hmm. for me to leave. That's probably the best thing I can do for them. That's a huge point in Carino's arc Mm -hmm. in particular. Mm -hmm. But that is also, yeah, the core concept behind Akito as a character is that Akito is the character most afraid of change. Because mm-hmm. she, and I guess this is a spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In general, uh, we on the show tend to not uh, skirt around spoilers, so it's okay. But I guess be warned that there will be spoiler e discussion in this podcast because there are definitely surprises uh, <laughs> that you know. I don't want people who have an experience to get spoiled on before experiencing it for themselves. Now the enemy is only a third of the way through. There's still more <laughs> changes in the last third. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they only just did the A Sword of Cinderella play. That's only like volume 15. So it's like, yeah. still got, yeah, that last third. And <laughs> I mean, they haven't revealed even the, a lot the of the big, third. big revelations yet. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But, yeah. I guess to get into Akito, like, their whole central conflict is that they are so afraid of things changing, of people leaving their life. Mm. So they use these tactics of abuse and manipulation to keep people together with them in fear of leaving them so that they won't. Mm -hmm. But that's also hurting them as well, like, being stuck there. And because of the way that you know, she's treating other people throughout the series because of the fact that she's so set in her ways. Like, she has isolated herself, and she is miserable, but she just can't recognize what needs to change, and that mm-hmm. things do need to change mm-hmm. in order for her or herself to be happy. Like, she's clinging to, like, just this tr- past trauma of, like, being told that, oh, you are a special child, you were born to be loved, but then realizing that the person she thought who loved her the most, her father, in 
his dying moments was thinking of her mother mm-hmm. who was incredibly abusive to her <laughs> yes. and told her that her bonds with her people were lies and fantasy and that they weren't real. So completely messing her up and making her super paranoid of, you know, people leaving her. Mm-hmm. So that's a incredibly like fraught, traumatic, psychological thing that she has to navigate. And I do really appreciate how the series explores characters who are kind of grappling with their trauma and trying to mm-hmm. move forward one step at a time. Yeah. But then also, like, kind of the stages of that, too. Like, Akito, yeah. it's kind of obvious that there's more to Akito, you know, like, maybe not in the early series, but maybe after the midway, where she has these ideas, but people are not the other Zodiac members, they don't see things the way that she does. Like, they're not as scared of her as she thinks they are. Yeah. And stuff like that. And I think it's, you get to see her denial for so long, like, until very near to the end of the series. And you get to see people kind of like Kureno, you mentioned before, he sort of almost like flips back and forth. Like, he goes and tries to connect with Arisa, but then later he returns to the family. He kind of withdraws into the family and then decides to leave later because that's the best thing he thinks he decides is the best thing for Akito, which is true i think <laughs> but you kind of get to see them like not just it's not like a you know sort of uh like an arc that's a straight that's a not a straight curve you know like there's no like oh like it's building 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 and then they leave they do their thing and then change like <laughs> they struggle with change you get to see them sort of flip-flop or ha- be in denial or do all these things that normal people do when they're struggling with something in their <laughs> life presents yeah. a i feel like a very real like approach to dealing with your issues and past trauma yeah absolutely growth is a messy process and i think yes. a good job of showing that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's not like a quick immediate oh i have completely changed now and i'm a better person immediately <laughs> it's like now i need to put in the work to change myself and also do right by others right which is something i really appreciate with akito's arc at the end is that it's not a complete heel turn Mm. like she is someone that is deserving of being reached out to you know and getting validation that hey you are loved and can be loved which is what she's afraid that she isn't Mm -hmm. but she also as someone who has hurt so many people in the past she has an obligation to do right by them going forward and to look out for them and do right by the family, which is why she chooses to stay as the head of the family Mm -hmm. in the estate, but also allow the other Zodiacs to leave and give them that freedom to leave. Like not being afraid that they've left their life because people come and go out of your life. Mm -hmm. uh, But there are bonds that will last in your heart uh, forever that, you know, you don't need to be afraid of losing. I mean, that's a big thing with Toru worrying Mm -hmm. about, like, her mom not being the most important person in her life anymore and her really having a breakdown of guilt about that uh, Mm -hmm. towards the end of series two. But yeah, with Akito, I appreciate that. Like, we see her taking steps to change at the end of the series. And from what I know of uh, Fruits Basket and Nutter, Mm -hmm. it seems that she continues to try a lot in that series. And I really appreciate that. So Yeah, I like too. how like not only do you see that not everyone immediately is okay with, you know, her you know, 
flip to being yeah quote unquote good now um but you also see her <laughs> kind of like you know she still kind of panics and lashes out and like is still kind of like regressing a bit even though she's trying to move forward at the very end because like it's not yeah. a straight line she's still got to deal with a lot of stuff absolutely that scene with shigure mm-hmm. where she's freaking out that shigure is going to leave mm-hmm. her like when he's going to give her his parting gift and she's like I knew it. I knew you would leave me. I hate you. I despise you. Like she freaks, she goes back to her old ways in the moment. And then Shigure says, no, that's not at all. I'm saying goodbye to that past you because I know you're going to change and become a new person. And I look forward to see what you're going to do with your life from now on. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like I, I appreciate that characters go in and out of like these states of, okay, I'm going to move forward, but oh, here's a step back where I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. And I'm regressing a little bit. So, yeah, again, I like that kind of naturalistic approach to the process of changing yourself and healing uh, and stuff. In mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think a great message in terms of changing yourself or, like, not being afraid to change is Akisa's uh, introduction story arc, mm-hmm. which also is an integral part of Yuki's character development. And Yuki as a character, I guess... Like, I will say that I think Yuki is probably the most well-developed character in terms of, like, he has, like, mm-hmm. the s- hugest changes in his character mm-hmm. arc. And uh, probably is, like, the deuteragonist of the series after Toru in terms of the amount of focus mm-hmm. he gets. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I, like, with the Kisa arc, like, he had, after experience where, you know, Akito has traumatized her and she, at school she is being bullied. And has just completely self isolated herself and is afraid to, like, be sociable or reach out to others. And she gets, so she has kind of run off and that she's found and taken care of by Toru and the others at Chigure's house. And then eventually she gets, like, this letter from her teacher who tells her, like, hey, you know, uh... Why don't you start loving yourself and then uh, all the other guys will treat you better? And Yuki's like, no, that's bullshit. That's... I hate myself. How the hell am I supposed to <laughs> like myself uh, and recognize those qualities in myself without, if I think that way? And I, it gets to this good point of like, you need sometimes that external validation, someone to recognize the good qualities in you uh, before you can really learn what you like about yourself or what your strengths are mm-hmm. in order to help you like kind of grow as a person. Like you need that kind of emotional support. But then the chapter also ends with like both Yuki resolving, okay, I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to take up this job of being student council president, which is complemented with showing Kisa bravely like getting the courage to go back to school. Mm. And it's a great message of like what's important is like the desire uh, to change. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. what's important is that you make the effort. And even though it's scary to put yourself out there, and it's scary to reach out. You have to do that. You have to try to do that. And that's the only way that you will be able to change yourself. Mm-hmm. And we see that the people who don't change in the series, there are really only two, I think, by the end that we see have absolutely refused to be reached out to and changed. And that are is Ren and the head made of someone made. Which, <laughs> yeah, to the end, the is never given a proper name. I know, it drives me crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah even in the 
character notes in <laughs> she doesn't get a panel some either. parts of the <laughs> uh, the yen press final volume uh, like there's some stuff going over the timeline of the series and other plot details like the character is only referred to as the head Soma made. made. Yeah. <laughs> like they don't, they don't have a name. But There's even like yeah. a character panel for um the two friends from their class, like Kyo's two friends, the dude friends. <laughs> and then they got names <laughs> in the anime credits. I can't remember what their names are, but they don't have names either. But the maid is such an important wow. character. Anyway, that's just a side rant. <laughs> it's it is interesting. It's I, very interesting. I really wonder how intentionally particular Takia was about that like yeah i don't know if it was purposeful to not give this character a name like she could just be like a stand-in she kind of represents the family yeah yeah a representative of the like tradition that's holding everyone back rather than a yeah specific individual person (laughs) yeah i think that's probably true because her character is that she's trying to reinforce the Again, the traditions of the family, the structure of how the family operates, including all the really toxic, abusive parts of like mm-hmm. isolating Kyo, the cat away, because that's how she was raised. And to her, that's the proper way things are done. Mm-hmm. And she frequently is like chastising Kareno and other members of the Zodiac for disobeying Akito, kind of feeding into Akito's complex of like, she is the person to be most respected, revered, and loved, and everyone should kowtow to her mm-hmm. whims. But yeah, at the end of the series, we have this moment between Akito and her where she's like, you're lucky, you're young, and you can change. I've lived my entire life here in the Soma State. I lived 60 years of my life here. I can't change and Nikito tries to reach out to her but like she refuses she just turns away and it's just like a a very important note is like sometimes you know even if you reach out to a person like if they themselves don't make that effort to change themselves that change is just not gonna come Mm -hmm. and as someone who cares about someone else like all you can do is give them that push but eventually like they have to take matters into their own in order to further their own development, which is what I really like about Yuki's art because mm-hmm. early on in the series, for about like the first third of the series before Yuki joins the council, he's getting a lot of validation and encouragement from Toru that he can be a kind person, that he can put himself out there and have connections with others. And eventually he resolves to do that. And then as we go through the uh, second half of the series in the council, we see a lot of stories with Yuki just on his own. Or he doesn't really mm-hmm. play a part in like helping resolve any situations and conflicts that uh, Yuki is finding himself in. Particularly with his relationship with Kakaru and Kakaru mm-hmm. like, unintentionally says hurtful things to Yuki and they have a fight and Yuki stands <laughs> up for his own feelings and uh, looks out for the feelings of others, and he is able to help someone else in need in the form of Machi. He recognizes her loneliness and her, you know, that she is struggling under the weight of her own emotional burdens and is able to help her through that in the same way Toru is able to help him. Mm -hmm. 
So I think that was an absolutely fantastic character arc of like showing someone really come into their own of being this place early where they have isolated themselves, they're introverted, and they're not reaching out to a point where they have formed so many independent connections and are able to be a person to reach out and help others. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right about Yuki's character, Yuki, Yuki being kind of a, like a dual protagonist. I never really thought about it that way. But you're right. Like there are all these his his story basically completely almost diverts from uh, from Toru's basically in the second half of the story. And there's a couple times where he comes back, but it's mostly just sassy to kill about their (laughs) relationship and about him being kind of a jerk. Right. (laughs) And they they do converge again later. But like, yeah, he and Toru don't have a lot of connection other than just, you know, superficial daily sort of life. After a good point in the series, right? It's very interesting. Yeah, it's like uh, like yeah. Kyo and Toru stay like tied up in each other's story pretty much the whole time. But mm-hmm. yeah, Yuki kind of gets his own thing going on. <laughs> it's the Yuki show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yuki's basket. Yeah, yeah, Yuki's basket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they really do run parallel stories that do weave in and out of each other. Right. Most notably with the revelation that. Of what Kaku's connection to Toru was mm-hmm. yeah. uh, later on. But yeah, I, the student council stuff is otherwise separate from the Soma family stuff, but it's still an integral part of Yuki's development. And then it, the lessons that Yuki learns from those interactions and the how he's grown from reaching out is able to seep into him being able to help and be more confident in his interactions with the Soma family. Mm-hmm. Like, especially after he has this big moment of self-actualization of, like, reflecting upon his past with Toru, the past where he helped guide her home when she was lost, mm-hmm. and then thinking about what Toru means to him, realizing that what he sought from Toru and the relationship Toru has to him is that she was a person who gave him unconditional love like he had hoped from from his own mother mm. and that so he was basically helping she was basically helped nurture his emotional growth and then he realizes that he doesn't have like those romantic feelings like he thought he might have because he didn't know how to recognize his feelings yeah. but he has this moment where he now realized oh no i have a really different separate relationship with toru than kyo and toru have mm. and i'm okay with that I, you know, I feel a little sad, but like I, I'm okay with that, and I'm kind of accept that and ready for that. And then later, having become kind of grown into his own as a person, and realizing that it's okay for him to be himself, to speak up for what he wants, mm-hmm. and not be afraid of what others think of him or others people disagreeing with him. Like he's able to stand up to his mother. Mm-hmm at the parent-teacher conference and say, no, you can't decide this for me. I will make my own choices in life. And then is able to stand up to Akito, something he was so afraid of early in the series, and say, mm-hmm. you know, I forgive you. I'm not afraid of you anymore. And I am going to, you know, make be independent of you. And which, of course, Akito freaks out at. But even when Akito inflicts violence on him and, like, cuts over his eye or whatever yeah. like he is not deterred he's he does not regress into like fearing akito like he he takes it in stride and it's like you know what? i i said my piece i made my 
sense of what my relationship to Aikido is and how I feel is, and now I'm just going to move forward with my life. So I really, really appreciated Aikido's. <laughs> I mean, uh, well, I appreciate Aikido's job too, but I mean Yuki's, Yuki's emotional maturity and growth throughout the series. Yeah, it's real good. <laughs> it's real good. Mm. <laughs> I definitely also appreciate it more as like an a, a uh, like I didn't particularly identify with Yuki very much the first time I read this story when I was younger, but I appreciated his growth in the story more. I don't know if it's just reading it again or just because I'm older or whatever, but looking back on how he struggles to like to be himself and be comfortable with himself, and then how he and also like yeah, like you said, stand up for what he wants to his family. Those things all seem, it's like, I feel like I've seen my friends and people I know struggle with all those things through life. And you're like, oh, Yuki is like, Yuki did it, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> And it, it it's a great, Takaya does a great job of illustrating that type of growth with Yuki. Other characters have different struggles, but his is in that way is very, um, it's, it's nice to see. And it makes Yuki a very strong, like a well-rounded character. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think his relationship with his mother mm -hmm. and kind of not being afraid to be independent and state that he has independent goals apart from what she wishes of him. I think that's very relatable to a lot of people like who like when they are young, their parents are trying to guide them in a certain direction and kind of plan out their life for them. Mm -hmm. And then later, like they are at a crossroads where it's like, no, actually, this isn't what I want. And I need to be comfortable, like, going on my own and figuring that out on my own, even if I don't know what it is yet. Mm -hmm. So I think there are a lot of really, very real situations mm -hmm. in this manga in terms of relationships and conflicts yes. people have, which is what makes it so resonant. Even though the series starts off with sort of a fantastical premise of the animal transformations, it really does not stick around as the focal element in the same way other similar series that would have this kind of concept like Ron Mahaff or Yamanaka yeah. and the Seven Witches. Uh, how it isn't used even for gags in the series after a certain point. It's after basically all the somas are introduced and we reveal who their animal is and then after that they basically never transform again for the most part. Yeah, pretty much. The last time an animal transformation even happens is even before the halfway point of the series. It's like when after Akito has like punched Momiji right. when he's trying to see Toru before she has to leave the beach house to return back to the state and she's like in a crazed state of being incredibly mad. And Mobiji sticks up for to like tries to prevent her from seeing Toru because she yeah. knows how abusive she can be and doesn't want her to get hurt. Like the last time the transformation happens is in an emotional moment after that, Toru like really hugs Momiji like because after having gone through this and Momiji of course transforms into a rabbit. Right. And that's the last <laughs> That's of course after the like Akito is the god of the zodiac reveal. So it's kind of after yeah. the that's like that point of the story really sets the tone for the second half, I think. Mm -hmm. It's that's when the real big, like dark things start to get revealed. So you transition yeah. away from the cute animals and transition into like the more emotional abuse side of the curse. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. in in full. I think there's like there's things that are alluded to before that. Obviously, you have like a Tori story very early on in the story, and you're like, maybe that was a one off. But yeah. no, all of <laughs> all of them have this awful, <laughs> awful past. Yeah, right? <laughs> with Akito, all of them are yeah, and Akito too, with their parents. Yes, other members of the family, the maid. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't. A lot of people. I think I've seen say that, you know, it's a little much to have, like, everyone have these family problems, but I think it's actually so real, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially with the kind of family that the Somas are, is that they aren't, because they are so large, but because they run themselves kind of like, oh, we have an inner outer compound, it's like kind of its own little community it's actually honestly more cult-like with mm-hmm. them revering yes. like Akito as a god that they all have to obey the wishes of and the zodiacs in particular all have to be connected to for their entire lives and that's really damaging in and of itself but also to add on to just the all the different levels of physical and emotional abuse mm-hmm. within that of like putting people down like Akito's strategy uh, to keep people beside her is to berate them to the point and make them think so little of themselves that they think no one else will ever be capable of loving them besides Akito. And when they try to show independence and leave and uh, say that they love someone else, she gets incredibly violent and tries to scare them into giving up that relationship mm-hmm. by abusing them and also, especially with women like assaulting them to make them think very little of themselves which ties into a big complex she has about her gender presentation not being able to express herself as the way she wants as well like developing kind of a misogynistic streak Mm -hmm. which yeah there's a lot going on (laughs) uh with all that you you described it very succinctly (laughs) which is nice (laughs) yeah yeah i mean there's there's a lot of different types of abusive relationships in the series. But I think it's very interesting that it explores in terms of the way like people feel when they are treated badly or how badly someone can treat others. Sometimes it's outright being hated by a parent and being told that you are worthless, like in the case of Kyo, yeah. who Kyo's father blames him for his mother's death. And even though, as we see later on, Kyo's father was incredibly abusive and his emotional abuse of his mom was probably more a contributing factor than her feelings towards Kyo mm-hmm. when she was trying her best for Kyo. But then even beyond that, we have like Momiji's dad who is trying to do right by every member of his family supposedly but really is making Momiji feel incredibly isolated because Momiji has to live separately from the family and like a lot of that isolation comes from his dad not wanting to lose like his mom and his daughter and mm-hmm. not wanting to lose that other part of the family so he has chosen others over his son and yeah there's just a lot of different forms like that or like Rin's story where like her parents try to put up this facade of being happy until Rin asks a question about are they really happy and then she that completely makes him do a 180 and just outright hate her from that point on and like completely abandon her with really no reconciliation at all and 
I think another good point of the series that it shows is that sometimes you can't repair some of these relationships. Sometimes you can, but sometimes there isn't really a way to forgive, and there really isn't a way to reconnect. Like, in the case with Rin and Akito, Akito, like, reveals who she really is. She gives Zodiac her freedom and sort of apologizes, but Rin does not accept that. She can't forgive Akito, but that's pretty valid and okay. Tora, like, tells her, hey, thank you for feeling these feelings for me. Essentially, like, uh, it's okay that Rin probably will never be able to forgive Akito. Mm. And that's totally on her. But we see that sometimes relationships can be worked towards repairing, like with Yuki and his mom. Like after Yuki announces his independence and later goes to get basically some sort of permission slip signed from uh, his mom. Like she basically gives him like a passive aggressive like form of like encouragement or, or respect that Yuki recognizes. Like he recognizes that she is like kind of trying now and is thinking like maybe in the future we'll be able to look back at all this and laugh. Like there is like a semblance of hope there yeah. that because there is like effort being put into repairing the relationship the relationship can be repaired. <laughs> so yeah. I mean again I like that there are various different types of family relationships in this, different levels of dysfunction. And it shows, like, there are different outcomes, but ultimately you need to make sure that you are thinking of your own happiness. And if you are in an unhappy, like, family dynamic or relationship dynamic, you really should leave and think of what your happiness is. To be kind to yourself and not put so much burden on yourself is a huge theme in the series too. <laughs> Definitely. With Toru and Kareno and Kyoko and stuff. So again, I really appreciate that message as well. For sure. Yeah. Um, with the series, there are so many different characters and themes. We've kind of gone in a lot of different places, but there's still <laughs> so much to talk <laughs> about. I guess I want to ask you guys, like, are there any other key themes that uh, that really stuck out to you reading the series? I mean, I I just mentioned that idea of learning to be kind to yourself and recognize your own wants and not be completely like self uh, less to your own detriment, which I think is a big thing with Toru and Kareno in particular. But is there anything you would like to really extrapolate upon? Hmm. I'm just thinking. Like, I do, I agree with you that the main themes of the series that really, or one of the things that we talked about early on in this discussion that sticks out to me is obviously the theme of, like, change and you can change. It's good to change. It's not always easy, but it's good for you and it's good for everyone around you. And it's good to encourage other people to, the people in your life that you care about to try to, I don't know, be better people, I guess, if that's uh, subjective. (laughs) Um, But that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and being kind to each other. Yeah. I think one of the great parts about the series is that it shows just how valuable being kind mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Because it shows that just being nice to someone or being there for someone can be enough to help break them out of their shell. Yeah. Or break them from like a dark path that they are on. Like with Kareno, just that interaction, small as it is, he has with Ariza, 
mm-hmm. kind of plants a seed in his mind that there is something that I want in this world outside the Soma state that I want to escape from as someone I want to be with. But also, like, reaching out to people is important because, in a metaphor as Tor discusses early in the series, she compares everyone to, like, rice balls with an omiboshi in their back, pickled plum, and everyone has their own unique, like, pickled plum in their back that, because it's in their backs, they can't see it. They can't recognize the qualities of themselves. So that's why, by reaching out to others and telling them, hey, I like what I see in you, that gives them the confidence to grow. And also, a lot of times, people are not realizing what they have that makes us unique and are resentful of what others have, not really realizing that maybe other people are also having their own struggles and Mm -hmm. having their own things that they are looking at the other person and saying, man, I wish I I was more like that person. This is a big thing between Yuki and Kyo in particular, is. (laughs) is that they both outwardly start the series hating each other, but secretly, they both really wish they were more like the other person. Mm -hmm. They really see in the other person qualities that they wish they had. With Yuki, uh, he recognized Kyo is a person who can, once he gets to know people, really become friends with them. He has an aura to him that draws people to him. Mm -hmm. And And he's a little more vocal about what he wants. Whereas with Yuki... You know, Kyo wishes he could be more of what he perceives as like emotionally responsible and kind of put together person like Yuki mm-hmm. is. Because Yuki carries this order of being like this honor student, someone who is like very well regarded at school and whatnot. But really, Yuki has been struggling severely under an insecurity complex <laughs> this entire time. Mm-hmm. And so there's this big, great moment. It's like their final fight in the series is when they basically both realize and outright say to each other, I wish I had been, I was more like you. I, that's what I had always wished. Mm-hmm. And then that ultimately gives Kyo the realization that, you know, he was thinking like, you know, I can't be there for Toru. I can't protect her because of all sorts of regrets and guilts he has. Mm. But then Yuki tells him, no, you've been doing that this entire time. <laughs> and I envy that quality in you that you could be an emotional support for Toru that I couldn't be. And that's why you need to be that for her now. Yep. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that was like a really beautifully uh, done relationship and conflict between them, I think. Yeah. yeah. We just saw in the anime episode, the most recent one, so uh, this is like episode 22 that just aired. It's the like pre-Sword uh, of Cinderella scene where Kyo didn't want to rehearse and Yuki went to go find him. And like the th- interesting thing about Kyo is like, oh, Yuki, you were so loved. Like you, I always wanted to have what you had. You, ha- Everybody loves you and supports you. I can never, you can't understand what it's like to be me or whatever. And Yuki just like turns to him, like, really, you really think that that's true? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like everybody has their own. I think another good, like, a uh, parallel to that, another good aspect of the series is that everybody has their own struggle and you may not, just because they have an outward sort of facade of being okay, like, they all have their internal struggle and you may mm-hmm. not know anything about it. 
Especially with you have mm. characters like Toru who are clearly, I mean, you, she starts with the series being super peppy and like almost like a typical like shoujo protagonist girl, but she has this lurking, these lurking feelings about her mother and her mother's death and the guilt about how she feels about her mother, which is quite complicated. That doesn't really come up until later in the series, but everybody, I guess, like overall, there's a message that everybody has their thing that they're dealing with, mm-hmm. and it's important to yeah. be cognizant of that. I guess as a person, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's especially true with Toru. Is that even though she can recognize the good qualities of others mm-hmm. and she says encouraging things at the beginning of the series, she herself is putting herself on pretty frequently early on. She's like saying. Yeah oh, I'm so blessed to even have this, or this is all I really deserve. Like, I can't really ask for more. Mm -hmm. Like, especially, like, when she's forced to move in with her very mean uh, aunt and, yeah. (laughs) Like, the the evil people in her family, as her grandfather says. Yeah. It's like, she feels like she has, like, no, this is, like, all she can deserve because she doesn't think that she herself is like worthy of having even more happiness she's she's thinks of herself she thinks very selflessly she doesn't think like of of her own really wants and desires all the time like she doesn't really recognize them it's always Mm -hmm. like oh i want to help this person oh i want to do right by this person and even when like in fact, like the way she interacts with her is like there's a in Hanajima's backstory, mm-hmm. like Hanajima, it, there's like this moment where in class, like Hanajima's past of like almost using her denpa to cause like kid to collapse and maybe be uh, more seriously uh, injured or whatever. Like, she, after that's uh, found out, like, she kind of, like, runs off and then Tori, like, kind of goes to confront her and she's like, oh, and she's like, you shouldn't be friends with me. I'll just, it, it isn't, like, a good idea. And Tori's like, oh, well, uh, it might not be a good <laughs> idea to be friends with me either. Like, I have all these flaws myself. Like, Tori, like, really thinks a lot about her own, like, flaws. Yeah, and- that's true. She also doesn't recognize her good qualities, which is why, like, Kyo and other characters have to also validate her, and that's important. Mm-hmm. Like, Toru isn't, like, a super woman who can, like, bear all the burdens of everyone else. Like, she also needs that support. Yeah. So, I appreciate that. I appreciate that, like, she also has some growing to do in the story, and she also needs to, like, recognize and be okay with change herself like she's also so afraid of like her mother not being the most important person in her world anymore when she realizes that Kyo has kind of become even more important to mm-hmm. her but that doesn't mean that that Kyo is replacing Kyoko it just means that like there's another person in Toru's life now mm-hmm. and that's okay like it's okay for things to change and that doesn't mean her mother isn't always still going to be with her the memories are always going to be with her and I really appreciated that. I really appreciated Toru's own yeah. growth is spurred by her interactions with Asoma as much as she spurs their growth mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And that's something that like isn't really covered in the first because the original anime only covers the first like six volumes of the manga. It doesn't really get touched on. 
And I think that contributes to a lot of people's like opinion about Toru as a character if they'd only ever seen the original anime. So it's something that I always feel is really important to like bring up. That's one another reason why I like the always like the manga so much is because you get to really actually see her growth and see the things that she struggles with, which you don't really get to in the original anime. Mm-hmm. We get to now in the new anime, uh, which is nice. But yeah, Toru's a deep character too, just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that pretty much every member of the main cast in the series has a really compelling art and shows real growth from beginning to end, with this, the one exception of Ritsu, <laughs> who shows up for his introduction and uh, cameos, <laughs> but is otherwise uninvolved in the main plot afterwards, <laughs> which uh, it's is... It's kind of sad, you know. It's a bit of a missed opportunity, especially yeah. with the idea of gender presentation with Ritsu's yes. character, and how that could contrast well with Akito's. I think there True. could have been an interesting conflict there. But yeah, that would, I guess, be the one complaint is that that is the one character I think had an arc set up that actually never went anywhere. <laughs> yes. like, even the last volume explicitly is someone comments that, oh, Ritsu is still the same as ever. He hasn't, he hasn't really changed, <laughs> did he? <laughs> and I guess yeah, the one moment that it's supposed to show that he changed is that he stopped wearing women's, clothing. women's kimonos and was like giving them to Kagura or whatever, which is, eh, <laughs> I, I don't really know if I... Appreciate. It. I, I don't I know. think that was was good, but yeah. Otherwise, like every other character has some really profound growth. Like even it was like just being confident to like say hello to someone. Like mm-hmm. in the case of Kisa, mm-hmm. like just being confident like to say hello to Kyo <laughs> was like so mm-hmm. such a big change from like her being really shy and introverted yeah. at their elite start. I do love that scene. Yeah. <laughs> she's yeah. like, he, she's like, hello. And he's like, hi. And then uh, he leaves the room and then he, she turns to Hero and is like, he said hello to me. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you did good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's just another small moment of like showing like just how like a simple interaction mm. with someone could like profoundly affect them. Like... That Kyo just like says hi just very casually, but that makes Kisa very happy, mm-hmm. like because it means something to her that he said that. And I really appreciate the series like takes a look at like how we treat others, what we say to others, how that can leave a lasting impact on mm-hmm. them, and how they think of their of themselves. Yeah, I think. I was just gonna say I think when when we were discussing, Kayla pointed out that like the series also does an interesting job of showing how just like one small interaction with someone can change something super significant in their life or like make a, a mm-hmm. change for the better. We see that with like Yuki in the hat and like helping Toru. Like obviously there was a huge significant moment in his life. I think for Toru it was something that she remembers, but it's like not as significant, obviously. But just like, yeah, like saying, saying hello to someone or complimenting someone or giving them a little bit of advice or just spending time with them or being there for them when they need like Yuhi and Kakeru, those things really make a difference, can make a difference in somebody's life. And that I think is communicated well in the story too. Absolutely. I think we see that time and again, it's just like, you know, just one thing someone said, either like totally like destroyed their confidence mm. or like really stuck in the back of their mind or a positive thing like has always stuck with them. And they always think about it. And it's like words of encouragement and support mm. in their life. 
for Toru, that's a lot of like her memories with her mom. Yeah. But also, like in terms of, like a negative thing that stuck with her, like that was subconsciously like eating at her own confidence and how she taught herself as a person. It was like Kakuru's comment, <laughs> yeah. like in the aftermath of her mom's death and come after Kamaki came to visit and pay the her the respects because her dad was the driver in that accident. Right. And he also died, and because Kakuru just got upset that Toru was so sad when, you know, the person he he cared about, Komaki, you know, was also suffering. Mm-hmm. So he said a really mean thing to her, saying, like, why are you so sad? Don't think you're the only one suffering. That was completely insensitive and completely yeah. ignorant of Toru's own feelings. And that thought, that memory, like, kind of was at the back of Toru's mind and it, like, came up, like, again. Yeah in the story yeah she speaks in, to him about like it. just a moment <laughs> yeah yeah she speaks to him about it later but like even before mm-hmm. that like when she was like thinking of like do i have like the right to be mm-hmm. so concerned about everything or like who am i to like get involved am i making a change i think this is like during the conversation with shigure where shigure is like kind of laying it all out there like what kyo's role mm-hmm. in the family is supposed to be like, I think that is around the point where, like, like, and after her fight with uh, Rin about, yes. like, breaking the curse, it's like, it just, this in the back of her mind is like, oh, I'm not a selfless, a selfless good person. And mm. this is, like, something that has always been eating away at me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was like, do I have the right to, like, be conceited about being involved in this family? Yeah. yeah. I forget exactly. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, unfortunately, we see the negative like impacts of a small thing that that someone does or says too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, the ultimate message is just being mindful of others and being yeah. kind to others, and that is something that is just more, uh, you know, productive and helpful and meaningful for someone's mm-hmm. life. You know, and just doing what you can, like even if it's something small, just doing what you can makes a lot of uh, meaningful impact. Mm-hmm. That's true. I think we see Toru struggle with that a lot, too, because, like, we've discussed she has these, like, grand sort of altruistic intentions, but often other characters comment to her to, like, just do what you can. Like, especially Shigure is, like, do the things that you can and don't worry about what you can't do. And others um, kind of tell her not to push herself, even for the things that matter for helping other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's important that you can just do, like, a small thing and that can help someone. Yeah. Same with, like, uh, Yuki saying that to Kyo in their final fight that we just talked about, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, um, I was thinking about it earlier when we were first talking about it. It's a parallel I never really thought of, because, like, people keep telling, like, Toru's, like, what do I do? What do I need to do? How do I help people? And people keep telling her, like, just, like, do what you're doing. That's all you need to do. And then, like, yeah, with Yuki telling Kyo, it's like, just do what you're doing. And <laughs> that's how you support Toru. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, like, a lot of characters are, like, so upset with themselves, like, saying, oh, am I not doing enough? I can't be there for the person I care about. Mm -hmm. But really, just being there sometimes is enough. Just being there and being kind to them is enough. Mm That You can't, like, maybe solve everyone's problems by yourself or, you know, change the world by yourself. Mm -hmm. But there are things that you can do and that Maybe you haven't realized, but you're already doing. Mm. That's really valuable. Yeah, I love uh, I love Yuki's line in that scene again with Kyo, and 
He's like, he's like, wow, what, were you going to catch her when she fell off the cliff? What are you, Superman? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, no, you can't solve every problem or be there for every single thing. But just like offering the support you can is like the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think this was also a message that was brought up in a conversation Kyoko and Katsuya had when mm-hmm. I guess they were separate. I remember something there flashback about like Katsuya was away and they're like oh it's okay if we're not always around uh, each other if we're not always there we're there in person because like we have this connection with each other and this love so true something like that I remember it's like it's just this message of hey you know we, we can't always be around to help each other but like it, we are always, you know, there each other, like, at least spiritually, emotionally. Mm. Like, and when we are around, we do the best we can for the people in our lives. Yes. I also really liked uh, Hero's arc. <laughs> He's a good boy. Yeah. Yeah. Hero's arc There's a lot of a different arcs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was a little brat at first, <laughs> but then we realized that a lot of his like jealousy of Toru just came from the fact that Toru was able to help Keith in a way that he mm-hmm. couldn't, yeah. and that made him feel like upset at himself. So he needed to find a way to like kind of put Toru down <laughs> so that he could make himself like feel mm-hmm. better. Yeah. And then eventually, Kisa like basically calls him on scene, like, "Stop being mean <laughs> to Onishan, this person I love." Like. Yeah. You're, this is hurting me and I really don't like it when you're like this and so after that like he realizes that yeah he needs to change in the way he treats others and like to do best by the person he cares about is still you know, just again be kind in general mm-hmm. and just be supportive in general yeah, and he'd kind of like kind of like self-sabotaged in sort of the same thought process that Kyo had at the end where mm-hmm. like he was like oh I, I couldn't help Kisa and so I just need to get out of her life but what she really needed was him to just be there supporting her which he wasn't yeah mm-hmm. and that even like I think it impacted her worse too because she says like oh I thought you like were mad at me or you hated me or something mm-hmm. like that and he's like no I didn't you know yeah. like, <laughs> it's also nice to see him Hero's another character that's easy to relate to when you're young too because you're like I have all these things that I want to do but I can't figure out like how to do them like i don't know how to be helpful i don't know how to be like a friend who's there for other people like it's hard it's hard to learn those things Mm -hmm. and so it's nice to see his growth through the series because he is such a good boy and Mm -hmm. like he wants to try to (laughs) be there for other people Um, he just has to get over that sort of like the jealousy of toru first yeah and we see that with his relationship with his mom too (laughs) that he looks out for her because his mom is a little ditzy, but she means really well, and they love each other. And so Hiro wants to be a person that can look out for her. And then also, when his uh, baby sister is born, <laughs> like he also is like, oh, happy and afraid, mm. because he's, he realizes how vulnerable this newborn baby is, and wants to protect her from the dangers of the world, but is like, scared he can't do that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he also gets encouragement about that, so... I think he had a really nice coming-of-age character growth mm. in this story, too. Yep, I agree. And babies will make you do that. Start to worry <laughs> about them. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, ah, oh, you're fresh. You don't know what people are like yet. Like, I need to be a better person. <laughs> 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 I 
I guess are there any other like characters or core teams that we wanted to really go over? I always like, you know, Shigeru starts off the series with that, like hurting people and being hurt by them is important for helping you grow. And I think that when he says that to Kyo, I think that that is very strongly reflected through the rest of the series. Like it kind of becomes Mm -hmm. a theme. We've talked of, I think we've alluded to it a lot in like the other discussion we've had so far, like with changing and how it's hard to change and good to change. But the fact that like other people are the ones who force you to change or help you become a better person, depending on the situation you're in, is a core theme and very important in the story too. So thanks, Shigure, for that. (laughs) I think there's kind of a, like an overall lesson that kind of combines everything is to sort of being aware of the impact you're having on other people and like yeah how the things you say and do like even if they're just a you know flippant casual thing that you don't think about could have a really big impact on someone else so just kind of just being aware of yourself in the world mm, absolutely i think that is such an important theme is like you can't go through life just without hurting others or being hurt yourself because just relationships between people are complicated and there's always like a problem with communication so sometimes you don't know like how the way you'll affect people will or how you will be affected by people in the moment mm-hmm. and i mean i think we see that like with kaku kaku is just joking around a lot of the time not realizing what he makes yuki feel until like kind of the the breaking point happens and then after they kind of get on the same page like after that, their relationship grows to be a much stronger friendship. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, like, this is a, kind of a, the big message in the aftermath of Toru's fall towards mm-hmm. the end of the series. Like, well, from, like, the cliff and, like, everyone is distraught. And this is where we get that big narration that it's kind of going over this idea. And it also ties into, like, Akito's, like, feelings of regret over how she has treated everyone and, like, how she has abused everyone. And it's, like, it's not stuff she can ever take back and it's not stuff she knows how to properly apologize for. And the people that she has hurt, Kareno and to her particular, are being incredibly generously mm-hmm. kind to her and not blaming her. So she doesn't really know what to do. It would be easier if she was blamed by them. <laughs> but she doesn't really know how to kind of accept that kindness. Yeah. But it's really just... A moment that shows that you have to like just learn lessons from like how you recognize the ways in which you have hurt others and how you recognize how it feels to be hurt and then learn from that, grow from that in order to not repeat those same mistakes. And in life, you will continue to experience like sad times and there will continue to be times where this happens, where people are hurt, but you have to like continue to grow from that and continue to just try to be better and be like the best self you can be, you know, for your own happiness and for the people around you. Mm -hmm. For sure. I do think like something that's also touched on in that is the importance of forgiving yourself and other people (laughs) and like, like forgiving yourself, especially, but forgiving others, obviously too. I think it's interesting how like in that scene, or, or like in that moment after Kareno and Toru forgive Akito or try to make amends with Akito, Akito doesn't know what to do. And Momiji is like, well, you just have to be super nice to Kareno from now on. Like, that's what you have to do. You have to learn from this mistake and move forward mm-hmm. and not let it like hold you back. 
I think like the we see a lot of characters have to they not only overcome the things that other people have done to them, but the pressure they put on themselves, which we've also talked about a lot. So being able to forgive yourself from like your past mistakes, which is very difficult to do sometimes, becomes mm-hmm. a main theme of the story too, or a main like I don't know a motif. I guess it's not yeah. it's almost not really a theme thing that happens a lot. <laughs> I think there's kind of an idea in that scene, especially where like kind of like wallowing in like your own guilt can sometimes be a selfish thing. Because it's like mm-hmm. just being like, oh, I'm so terrible. Oh, I'm the worst person. <laughs> like that doesn't help anybody going no. forward and trying to like fix it. Or if you can't fix it, just like do better from there on out is what's going to like actually help people. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly enough, I think the character that best exemplifies uh, this team in a way is Ritsu. Because Ritsu's mm-hmm. whole character is like loudly apologizing for <laughs> mm-hmm. any small mistake yes. and everything about himself that he thinks people have a disagreement with. And ultimately it comes to a point where he has to realize, well, doing that is not really making anyone like feel better. <laughs> it's just kind of kind of putting the burden on everyone else of like you know having to deal with those <laughs> feelings but also it's not really helpful to you to be so down on yourself mm. and to think so negatively and poorly of yourself you should like a simple like thank you means so much more than all any like amount of endless uh, <laughs> Apology. apologizing <laughs> like when someone is trying to help you when you stumble or make a mistake like just say thank you like mm-hmm. you don't need to constantly put yourself down for making those mistakes or fear being imperfect mm-hmm. like uh, everyone makes mistakes and can do the wrong things sometimes what's so important is just to accept health and you know thank the person for you know being there for you and so i think that was a pretty good message and that is true that so many of the characters feel guilty about hurting other people whether directly or unintentionally yeah and really every almost every member of the zodiac feels some form of guilt about how they've treated (laughs) someone else Mm -hmm. whether it's you know hatori feeling guilt over what happened with Kana and with Yuki and or Kagura feeling guilty about the way she reacted to Kyo when she found out his true form as a child Mm -hmm. and then trying for years on end after that to kind of push love onto him just to make up for that yeah and yeah like again Hiro had feeling guilt over Like he started getting hurt because he confessed his feelings to her. And Rin, especially, Rin is another person who like pushes people away <laughs> because she doesn't want, <laughs> she doesn't want like especially kind, innocent people to get hurt. Yeah. And so she takes all the blame onto herself, like in the conversation with Akito, when she's like, no, no, the relationship with Haru, that was all on me. Yeah. Direct all your anger towards me. Yeah. And then she tries to push Toru away and discourage her from pursuing the curse because she recognizes that Toru is a kind person and she doesn't want her to get involved. Yep. And by self-isolating herself, she's, again, putting the burden on herself and that's only hurting her, too. Yeah. With Rin, you can see it pretty directly, too, because she's so sick later or like in that during that part of the story, too, where it's like, obviously, she's she's pushing herself to... She wants to break the curse for Haru to kind of like free him from those those family issues, I think. 
And mm-hmm. she's so she was already in ill health, I guess, and pushes herself so much that she becomes a actual like burden on Toru and Shigure and by extension Shigure, Yuki and Kyo, right? Mm-hmm. Other things happen to her later, but <laughs> Yeah. None of them would ever think of her as a burden, no, but she does like, need to thing. be taken care of, uh, for sure, because she's constantly collapsing and you know, is being put in danger <laughs> yeah. because she's in so poor health, but she's trying to do so much by herself. Yes. Yeah, I do like in in that part how like Shigeru kind of like uses that language to kind of get her to <laughs> get herself sorted because he's like, if you want people to leave you alone, learn to take care of yourself. Like, ever <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> the adept Shigeru, yeah, <laughs> good at reading people. Yeah, <laughs> he knows how to get people to do things. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He's an interesting character. He is pretty wise about some stuff. Like, yeah. like his messages about of encouragement towards, especially the younger characters, mm-hmm. of like, hey, take care of yourself, treat yourself better, uh, you know, don't be so hard on yourself. He says it often in a passive-aggressive <laughs> yeah. way, because he's not a very kind person necessarily, but he is an emotionally aware person. <laughs> yes. So... Even in his scheming, he is trying to, like, get people on the right path. Like, with Hattori and Mayu, he kind (laughs) of manipulates an interaction between them that gets their relationship between them going again. So, that is an interesting aspect of his character, too. But, yeah, I I, I really did like uh, Rin, Mm -hmm. again, as an example of that arc of not taking all these burdens onto yourself and like to take care of yourself first is like the best way to not have like others worry about you or to uh, get others involved in your troubles. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. I feel like those are kind of the big main things. They all sort of fall, all the even like smaller themes of Ruba fall into that like it's difficult to change, but it's necessary kind of broad yeah. <laughs> category and like being kind to people is important. It's probably one of those two <laughs> things, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean I I guess I also do want to mention that that was also a team that applies to Kyo mm. in terms of Kyo is also someone who pushes people away like Toru mm. and Shisho Kazuma because like he doesn't want them to be involved with him because he he has all these complexes about his own guilt of his mother's death, Toru's mother's death, and feeling like he's not going to live up to, like, the kind of son that his Shisho deserves mm. or the kind of partner, person that Toru deserves. Mm. He can't, he wouldn't be good enough to protect her. So he tries to push them away at several points during the story, but then realizes that, no, that isn't what he wants and that isn't what they want it turns out they're both very persistent people <laughs> yeah <laughs> with their affection and, yeah <laughs> that also applies to this self-forgiveness team yeah. and recognizing that you need to be able to share your pain and your burdens and your feelings with other people you can't just keep them to yourself and self-isolate mm-hmm. yourself which with Kyo is like the big consequence, the big looming threat is that he will be forever isolated. Mm. And he's kind of given up on 
living a life with Toru and the others and is like, okay, I'm just going to enjoy the time I have left before this inevitable thing is happening. I'm giving up on fighting Yuki. I don't think I'll ever win or I just don't have the energy to want to beat Yuki anymore Mm -hmm. because he's lost all that hate for Yuki. So it's just, he kind of resigns himself, but then he, Toru is trying to fight for him, fight for his freedom, and then he later realizes he also needs to fight for that Mm -hmm. too and confronts his father to like let it be clear that he's not going to go through Mm -hmm. with this Mm -hmm. and he's going to, you know, he's made his peace with what's happened in his past and is ready to grow and move forward Mm -hmm. and forgive himself for the past and yeah. Just live for the future. Mm-hmm. I like that scene where he confronts his dad too. It's good closure. Yeah. And also you're like, yeah, his, yeah. his father just is so like, I don't know if I guess I could describe it as like weak. He's just so like, not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's very interesting. That's another theme. That's another theme is that oftentimes like these abusive uh, figures that a lot of these characters are afraid of, like Kyo's father, yes. Yuki's mother, Akito. Yeah. And there comes a point where they realize, oh, these people, they don't have all this power or authority that mm-hmm. I thought they have. They also are kind of just these kind of scared, insecure people. Yeah. And why was I so afraid? Like, the scene where Momiji kind of realizes about Kido mm-hmm. is particularly, like, mm-hmm. poignant. Because mm-hmm. we've seen Momiji's group, we've seen, like, his previous, like, fear interactions with Kido. And now in the, in the moment where his curse breaks and he looks at Kido, it's like seeing man, why was I afraid of this person before? Yeah. yeah it's, I really appreciate that message, too, yeah. is that, like, these people who may be abusive towards you, like, they don't have the power to control and dictate the course of your life. Like, you can leave them, and you can escape them, and, you know, you should feel okay in doing that. You should feel confident that you can do mm-hmm. that, because... They aren't like these people who wield that power over you. You have the power to change your life by your own actions, by your own self. And you should just trust in yourself and your ability to do that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I think we did address a lot of the broad sort of series. I yeah. mean, there's still a lot of characters, <laughs> specific things we haven't addressed. But I think perhaps we will be able to get into those through the audience q and a's before we dive into them though i guess are there any other like topics characters you want to bring up first that we haven't addressed yet or might not be addressing these questions Mm. (laughs) i'm gonna say no i I feel like we could (laughs) there's so many like it's hard to yeah (laughs) (laughs) like you said we talked about the series for hours and hours and hours (laughs) like (laughs) but i think you touched on like most of the broad strokes of the series and also we touched on some of the the broad strokes of the series and like the main characters we haven't really talked about like kagura or we kind of did actually mention kagura and her like Mm. guilt which is definitely important even like ritsu who's sort of unfortunately a minor character Who else? Hirokisa, we did. There's always Shigure, but I'm sure that will come up in discussion. Vittoria <laughs> <laughs> Mayuko, the student council. The only person we haven't really talked about that much is Machi, I guess, at yeah, this point. Yeah, Machi is another character who is kind of suffering under the burden of her mm-hmm. parents' expectations. 
very similar to Yuki Not Respect, and I think that's why they kind of in part form a connection. Mm. But I really do like how her character was explored. Like, mm. when she's first introduced, and for a lot of different instances after that, we see her, like, kind of having destroyed a classroom, like, causing a mess, and we later realizes that she developed a complex over perfectionism mm-hmm. because her mother raised her to, like, always be perfect because she wanted to raise her to be the next head of the household, mm-hmm. but then completely abandoned that once her little brother was born, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, now we have a male heir. We don't really need her to do this, so... Yeah. But she still, like, kind of drilled that fear of, like, needing to be perfect into her, and then that made her resent and hate things that are perfect. So that's why she, like, destroyed Classroom. But this is, like, kind of the final moments of this is that she sees, like, this chalk, this row of chalk that's arranged perfectly. And then we just have, like, her kind of, in that moment, like, kind of pause and, like, freak out a bit about that. But then Yuki, having no, now knowing, like, that she has this complex, he, like, breaks a piece of the chalk. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Yeah, that's such a great character yeah. moment. I really love How that. could you not yeah, shift yeah. it? Listen. I mean <laughs> Yeah. I really like oh that. Uh, the yeah. parallel between uh, Yuki and Machi of where they both have like their parents like raised them in a very specific way. Raised is maybe a strong word. Um, <laughs> uh, but like you <laughs> know, treated them in a specific way. <laughs> but it forced them into, you know, certain behavior and actions and then like after that was no longer useful, they're like, oh, well, you know, they're just like this. And they're like, you made me this way. Yeah. In addition to Machi being, having this, the fear of perfection. Yeah. Like her, her mom's like, oh, she's so dull or doesn't have opinions. It's like, yeah. cause you, you made me that way. And that's yeah. what you wanted. I, at least what she taught is, yeah, it's just such this like casual cruelty <laughs> of her mother mm-hmm. that is just kind of totally wrecked her psyche. And also like it's complete unfairness and assumptions about her like thinking that she wanted to smother her brother when really she was she just thought her brother was cold and wanted to put a blanket (laughs) over him it's like just completely ignoring what she wants Mm. or completely ignoring like who she really is Mm. and just making these assumptions of what she is and how Mm. she is Mm. and that is a big theme it's like characters like thinking oh this character must be one way they're the source of all problems or they mm-hmm. are just this for the sake of being this and then realizing no there's just so much more going on i think we see that with kyo and haru's perceptions mm-hmm. of yuki in particular yeah. as kids it's like haru is constantly as a kid being told that he's stupid because he's the ox and the mouse row the ox to get to the front yeah. of the line in the banquet and so haru is resentful to you do that he like yells at Yuki for his problems, but then actually like meeting Yuki, and then Yuki asking him, "Are you stupid?" and like Haru saying, "No, no, I'm not," and just realizing that Yuki is not the kind of person that he thought he was. Like he's so much kinder than that. And then also with Kyo, Kyo needed a basically kind of scapegoat for him to place all his problems on, and mm-hmm. like Yuki, it was. Because of the story and the relationship with the rat and the cat in the Zodiac story, like, Yuki became that person, and he became the focus of, like, it's your fault that not the Zodiac, it's your fault that I'm an outcast, mm-hmm. and all these, like, grief hap caused my mother to want to uh, be so ashamed and take it upon herself, and 
kill herself, and so it's your fault that I'm treated like this, and this happened to my mother, so I hate you, and I'm resentful of you. And then later, like, after he learns that uh, Yuki was the one who returned toward Kyoko, like, he says, he's a bad person. Yeah. Kyoko's like, well, he helped the Toru. And Kyo is like, no, he's... I know, I know he's bad because of like how his you know personal experiences or perceptions of Yuki are, and Kyoko's like, well, maybe it's more that's what you want him to be, mm-hmm. and it really is that it is like kind of what Kyo needs Yuki be. He needs him to be an outlet for like his frustrations. Like he needs like a bad person in his life, the source mm-hmm. of all his problems, yeah. because otherwise it's like too much from the take that also happens like after kyoko's death and like he's so distraught over the guilt of like not having helped her that he's like this is once again all yuki's fault fault. he's the reason i'm in this situation which is why he's so vehemently spiteful and hateful of yuki at the Mm -hmm. beginning of the story Mm -hmm. is that he's like i have to go challenge yuki and i need to beat him so i can have basically a place in the zodiac and then all my problems will disappear yeah. he has that that line from kyoko that like haunts him throughout the series which is like you wanted him to be like that otherwise you would know what to do with yourself mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah and i think that that's interesting because that's also the role of the cat in the zodiac mm-hmm. is that it is a person that the other members of zodiac can look at and say hey I'm better off than this person, mm-hmm. at least. Yeah. Like, I'm not isolated. I'm not as poorly treated. I might have problems, but at least I'm better than this person. And we see that, like, firsthand with Kagura, and that's mm-hmm. her perception of Kyo as a kid. And why she started hanging around him in the first place is, like, she saw him and was like, hey, I have problems at home, but this Kyo kid is way worse <laughs> off. So by hanging around him and being kind to him, I'm making myself feel better. Mm-hmm. And... That's also with Akito and Akito like saying, oh, like it's everyone else's fault that uh, this is happening to me. This is. Yeah. And especially going and blaming like uh, when characters announce that they're in relationships, blaming women. It's like saying, oh, this is your fault. You are the reason like I hurt Hattori yeah. like this <laughs> to Kana or like telling Rin you are worthless. The only reason like you're even here is that you remember the zodiac but otherwise like you're completely worthless so she throws her out of window yes and uh yeah it's it's like a lot of the characters who are going through this pain and they don't have like a a way to channel that energy into like bettering themselves or don't know how to improve their lives they say okay here's this person i can lay all the blame and problems of my life upon and that gives me an outlet to vent my frustrations. And then by saying, I am better than this person, this person is bad, that makes them feel better about themselves. Yeah, exactly. It definitely yeah. happens. So that's that. definitely a big core theme we see in the series, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. In terms of other characters, I guess we didn't address before going on, I do think that two of my favorites for Mumiji and Haru. Mm-hmm. Kind of also because they are characters that are also very considerate, uh, emotionally wearing kind, mm-hmm. and also are like kind of struggling with a lot of pain, but like at least compared to a lot of the other zodiacs, are really doing their back and are a little more composed and mm-hmm. about their situations. Like with Momiji 
at the beginning of the story, like he's really chipper and really upbeat, but then we find out about his very painful backstory with his mother and his mother like outright going to reject him, like mm-hmm. asking to have her memories of him uh, repressed and being and like Atori asked her, Is this what you really want? And she's like has this kind of crazy expression on her face where she's like yes like all my problems happened when i gave birth to that monster yeah she's like i regret my biggest regret is giving birth to that thing or something crazy like that <laughs> it's so yeah. crazy it's just horribly cruel yes. <laughs> horribly cruel to know that but like momiji he doesn't blame his mother and it doesn't blame his father mm-hmm. or anyone. It's, he's just like, you know, I want my family to be happy. Like, I'm sad that I can't be happy with them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, he watches them from afar and just takes comfort if they are doing okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is super sad. Like, Momiji's backstory was definitely one of the things that kind of always stuck in the back of my mind for, like, years and years after <laughs> I watched it. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, like, his growth also, uh, again, we talked about the scene with Akito, where for breaks, like, he's able to, you know, just completely walk away without fear. But also, like, the moment where Toru tells him about Momu, that Momu has also been watching him all this time, and, like, he kind of tears up because he's so happy that, <sighs> like, the opportunity is there there's hope in the future for them to reconnect and i think that's like my biggest uh wish i hope i thought the series had done it was like show that i, I really would have loved to see momiji and momo reconnect no. but <laughs> that was a really great chapter nonetheless. yeah i think that's such a, a striking scene from momiji's character because like we see it mostly from Tori's perspective mm-hmm. and she's so sad about mm-hmm. this because she's like this is a tragedy but he's just so excited and happy about yeah like because you see him like yeah. he tear up he's like what should i do i'm so happy like i think that that panel is kind of shocking the first time you read it definitely (laughs) yeah he really looks at the optimistic perspective probably because he he just has to as a Mm -hmm. coping thing but Mm -hmm. like he really does try his best in that respect and similarly haru as a character is someone that i really appreciated because he's also a character that is looking out for everyone like checking in on uh, Yuki, and like we find out that he was the one who convinced Shigure to adopt Yuki into his home by basically saying, "Hey, please rescue Yuki from the Soma main compound." And Shigure was like, "Okay, if you agree to call me a sensei," which he does. <laughs> that was such a great reveal. But also, generally, we see him looking out for so many other members of the family, like Kisa. And Rin and Heroes and so many. So I, I really appreciated that aspect of him. And also that like that kindness, that patience does run out eventually with Akito. And that was also a great scene where like it really feels like both his white and black personalities kind of merge at that moment. It's just like pure like he's had enough and it's like directed towards Akito because of how he treated Rin and Eventually, though, he also just is like, no, I'm not going to hurt you, but I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm not ever going to come back. Yep. So I really love that moment, too. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah, Momiji. And I guess Anharu as a character is also really interesting. He goes through the series kind of like he had that like the incident with Yuki, I guess, before the series began. 
And then I think the growth that we really see from him or like the, the struggle that he has, which is he doesn't seem to like change very much, but he becomes more involved with uh, Rin and more like attuned to the things that she needs and stops kind of like being, yeah. um, I don't know how to describe it, like not like deluded, but I guess he was he was upset that she broke up with him, but but realized that she didn't really like want actually not uh, wasn't interested in him anymore. It's that she was trying to protect him. It took him a long time to kind of like come around to that idea, I guess. That's the kind of yeah. conflict that we see of his in this in the series, I think. Mm. But yeah. He also is kind of dealing with his own guilt over what happened to Rin mm. too. Like, because this is brought up in the moment where he confronts Akito, but it, he's like saying, right. like, you knew I cared about Rin. And Akito is like saying, it's interesting that you would go through this relationship when you knew how I would react. Yeah. You knew what, if I found out the secret, you knew what was going to happen, but you did this anyway. Mm-hmm. We see that Haru was also kind of dealing with his own guilt of like over what happened to Rin. Like at the back of his mind, mm-hmm. his mind, he knew why she got injured and like all that, but he didn't want to like kind of accept it. Mm-hmm. But he was afraid of like, confronting that mm-hmm. game yep there are so many good <laughs> characters even outside the zodiac <laughs> i love i love saki and arisa yes. they're so great they're such great friends mm-hmm. and they have their backstories are also great highlights yeah they're basically all the supporting cast is great i think the only character that i don't care about or don't find interesting is now <laughs> yeah you and everybody else there's <laughs> <laughs> like his entire role is just to be exasperated <laughs> by other characters and be annoyed and like he i guess he had feelings for matoko yeah. but really that moment is only great on matoko's end it's because it's like oh there was someone who recognized and had love for Matoko too so even though she her feelings for Yuki were unrequited you know there is still like something she can cling on to like she can experience love again yeah. or whatever so it, but it, so it wasn't really good it, he was only like a vehicle <laughs> to have that closure for the, her character really I do kind of relate to him on the like can we please just get the work done <laughs> <Ask> yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean I think he's reasonably <laughs> frustrated considering how Machi and like Kimi uh, and... Kakeru mess around. Yes. Like now is all of us <laughs> or, in a group I, project. No, I mean Kimi as well. I'm, yeah. yeah. Kimi is, you know, I grew to like Kimi, especially <laughs> when they did the flashback <laughs> take out that showed yes. that she was always like kind of a narcissist <laughs> and like self-centered. Like I think, she, I think it is great that there is like a character completely without any <laughs> baggage or uh-huh. any like self-depreciating aspects of herself. Like she totally is all about yeah i'm great everyone knows that i'm great and that's it that's it and even if you don't think i don't care because i know yeah. so whatever it's interesting though because it's yeah. kind of like it seems to be partially an act too because she has her like other voice she has like the way that she talks where she's all like oh kimmy says this and kimmy thinks this you should buy this for kimmy but like she also has her like other like kakiru kind of alludes to how she has like kind of another side that we never really see so mm-hmm. I don't know. I didn't like Kimi very much the first time I read the story, but it's. I think she's hilarious now, and she's not without a little she's bit of depth. <laughs> she's unappreciated in her time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I guess so. <laughs> I think Kimmy and Al mostly serve to like just sort of have have uh, more normalcy in Yuki's life during his <laughs> arc. So yeah, just being a normal yeah. kid doing normal school stuff. <laughs> that all his mm-hmm. soma baggage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, just part of putting himself out there, like he doesn't get involved in their problems no. if they have any, but like. He, Interacting with them is also an important part in like him becoming more comfortable socially yeah. and socially mm-hmm. and growing in that respect. So I'm glad there were characters like that to bounce off of that wasn't like, you know, I, he gets deeply involved in more drama of other characters. It's just like, oh, no, these are mm-hmm. friends that he, he can have and just hang out with. Yeah, yeah. casual relationship. Yeah. Yeah, because even if he's not as close to Kimmy now as he becomes to Kakiru Machi, he still like is able to interact with them easily and mm. casually, like mm-hmm. without all the uh, stress he had earlier on about interacting with mm. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without his princely coldness. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, I guess to talk more about characters, we can get into some of the Q&As. And we have a series of questions from the Hungry Stingray on the Fruits Basket Reddit, who asked, was there a character you disliked at first and then grew to love? And um, was there a character you loved then that you grew to dislike? Mm. It's like, well, obviously we all grew to love Kimmy. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, we talked about it several times on um, on our podcast about how neither of us were really big Yuki fans. Uh, yeah. Back when we first started the series, but like now I'd now I'd say he's like one of my favorite characters because he had such mm-hmm. profound character growth and such a strong arc. It's one of those things that kind of like surprised me when I like continued reading. I was like, oh, I I really like Yuki now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think like getting into the story the first time, it's like he is super weird and cold, and so it's a little bit. I think as a as a younger person, it was harder to get like I don't know, be emotionally invested in him for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But yeah, then you look back, like especially because you know where the series ends, and then we started again. I was like, wow, he's like changed so much. Mm-hmm. It's so impressive, and he really pushed himself, which is really admirable. It's hard to do those things, so mm-hmm. I definitely agree with you on that. Yeah, it's like now when you read the early chapters, you're just like, oh, honey, instead of oh. being like, who's this weird guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who's <laughs> this weird guy? <laughs> guy with his weird rat minions. <laughs> <laughs> so creepy. You know, that's another interesting thing is like the power to use to summon and have <laughs> animals like assist you, like the fact that all the zodiacs have animals naturally congregating around them. Like we don't see a lot of the zodiacs use the animals to do activities in the same way Yuki does yeah. in the first chapter, like digging up Tori's campsite <laughs> to find a picture of her mom. So it's like, it's in- <laughs> that's an interesting element of it that they uh, don't explore a whole I lot. Think, like, it seems like it became- changed her tune a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it became like more that. of a passive yeah. thing than like you can actively influence the animals. It's just yeah. like, oh, they yeah. just show up kind of thing. Yeah. Maybe he went there with yeah. the intention to clean it and then the or to dig it out and the rats he knew the rats would come or whatever. Like yeah. I don't know. These rats are but pretty all, intelligent. So maybe, yeah. maybe they're more likely yeah. to be able to intuit your intentions. 
I mean, the image of like him know, saying, so "Like, who do you think I am?" and all the rats are like <laughs> behind him, and as their doors open, and they're like, "Oh, eyes are all gleaming." It's like it's such a it's so creepy. creepy. It's so cool creepy. Image. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Even when we reread it, and I knew that it was coming, I was like, "This is the creepiest, single creepiest image of the series." Like, I don't get why. Yeah, he's like, "Oh, I never said I was going alone or whatever." In the original anime, and you hear this like rat squeaking noise, and you're like, "Whoa, what? What series am I watching?" <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was a rom-com. What the fuck says? Oh, you think this is maybe a yes. horror could play more than a horror aspect, or I don't know, maybe a battle aspect yeah. uh, later on? But no. no, it really evens out into like a very downturn. Yes, drama. but <laughs> personally, I I actually really love Yuki even when I first watched the series. Nice. I think a lot of scenes with him definitely did stick out to me, like. The scene mentioned before where he's talking to Toru about like kindness and then also the keys scene reading the letter from the teacher. Mm. But I guess for me, a character that I didn't care for when I was younger and then really love now after having read the entire manga, I think that I guess there would be two. I mean, Akito for one, because mm. in the anime, Akito doesn't have the same depth. Yeah. I mean, like, they didn't know a lot about Akito, so you can't blame the anime, I guess, too much for not doing that. But really, in the anime, Akito is, like, he is cruel, he is, like, childish. Like, they get that aspect out of him, but they don't get, like, the the underlying trauma. It's like he's cruel because he's childish and self-centered mm-hmm. in the first anime. So, I mean, I appreciate in the manga, like, Akito is actually one of the most complex and interestingly developed and compelling characters by the end. Mm. But also, I think I do like Ayame more. This is a character, we didn't really oh, yeah, bring up Ayame a whole lot. How could we forget? He's so bombastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I really appreciated Ayame's arc of like trying to do right by mm. Yuki after having been so cold to him as a kid and now is like looking out for him, trying to be supportive of him, especially when it came to the parent-teacher conferences, but before the conference saying, Hey, are you sure you want to go through a contact your mom? You know, I'm here for you to support you, you know, if you need. And then later, you know, when the conference is going badly with his mom, he comes in right at the right moment and he has this great speech to uh, their mm-hmm. mom where it's like, hey, Yuki is giving us the opportunity to change or do right by him now. You really are missing out by like trying putting all these wants of yours on him missing out like on what a great kid he he really mm-hmm. is and you should really learn to really see him for him so i really appreciated like ayami's relationship with yuki and how he encourages him and helps his growth and also ayami also has a good moment where he is able to let go of some of the mm-hmm. guilt of like mistreating a person who had a crush on him in the past that he was horribly mean to and he had all this regret about it's like that is the moment where he realized how the consequences of how the way he treated others could hurt people. And that's kind of spurred like his moment of mind to gain. So I like that there is closure to that where he is able to be told by Yuki that, Hey, no, it's okay. Like she seems okay. Now she has like a family. Yeah. So it's not like this one thing you did, like completely ruined her life or anything. So you can move on from this too. And you can accept that you also have like changed and are better now. So I like that a lot. I think he's a good example of that, like, 
not dwelling on your guilt, but trying to do better going forward. Because he's just like, he's just like, I was pretty bad in the past, so now I'm going to be the greatest brother in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I admit, I think I like Ayami's more bombastic comedic moments more in the anime adaptations, mm-hmm. just because, you know, Chris Sabat also in the English does, is, does a good job with those. But also in the manga, it's like, it really does come across even better with like, you know, the voice acting visuals, <laughs> like to carry that over the top personality. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, the character development aspects the, of Ayami, I really have grew to like a lot more now than I did like back in the, when I first watched the series. Yeah. As for character that I liked, but now dislike. I think it's like the Prince Yuki fan club <laughs> because in the original anime, They're like the uh, they have a lot of these comedic flourishes that kind of gives them a lot of personality mm-hmm. that I appreciated. And then the se- episode where they visited uh, <laughs> Hanajima in the first anime was like really uh, experimentally directed <laughs> and atmospheric in a fun way. So I like what they did with the Yuki fan club in the a- first anime adaptation. But in the manga, it's like most of them are pretty flat. Motoko, of course, has like an arc of hers. But uh, in general, I like how they were used in the first anime more so than in the manga. Mm-hmm. Where like there is the manga is often very funny. But I mean, its strength is definitely in the uh, relationship yeah. uh, drama aspect. And that, I think that's true of the new anime, too. Uh, I, I do think, like, the first series, uh, it excelled more in the comedy, but, like, the, the manga and the new adaptation, it's really more about the story. And it's stronger for it. It's, like, a different experience for it. But, like, yeah, yeah with those characters in particular, because they are joke <laughs> characters, they are, they become better off in the... Just I do long. agree with you that in the first, so for the first anime, is much more has a much more comedic take, which I don't necessarily agree with overall. But the Prince Yuki fan club is more, way more funny and like over, kind of like over the top in the anime. And that does make them yeah. a little bit better. You're right that that episode is, yeah, it is very experimentally directed is an interesting way to put it. It's <laughs> like, I we I remember when we were reviewing the same episode, uh, like in the new anime, I guess, or maybe we were reading the manga. I went back and watched it and I was like, this is so crazy. Like there's <laughs> like, like they're animated into like live video from like a subway yeah. train station and they... Uh, they have like the voiceover, the dude voiceover. I can't remember how you would describe it. Like this narrator that describes the Prince Yuki fan club and their like tenants and all this stuff. Like mm-hmm. as if they're this huge kind of like secret subvertive club organization kind of thing. And I like that take on it. It's really funny, but it just doesn't fit in like the tone of the overall more emotional and relationship driven series. So you can't really have both, which kind of sucks. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I like them less. I think as I get older, it gets less interesting for me. They are pretty flat characters, unfortunately. I guess. Yeah, and they don't. Without the exception of Matoka, yeah. they don't grow and realize that they're obsessive love. Yeah, I mean, yeah, basically. even though Megumi outright says, <laughs> "Hey, you're like kind of pushing all yeah. your feelings onto Yuki," and you gotta realize that that they're just burdening him with those feelings. They're not really respecting boundaries yeah. or really knowing him as a person you can't like hurt other people like toru or uh you know i don't know anybody anybody else who wants to get close to him yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's mostly directed at toru yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm kind of really yeah, like they 
went to Hanju's house like to <laughs> figure out the secret of her Dempo wave <laughs> so that they could learn her weakness and defeat her so they could get close to Yuki, basically. And also yeah. get Tora out of the picture. So that's like kind of impetus of the conversation. It's like, hey, you're being very selfish and hurtful. You can't just excuse those act- selfish and hurtful actions and uh, behaviors under the guise of, oh, I'm doing this out yeah, of love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Motoko is the only one who grows uh, at all, really. The other ones are like just kind of in the the background, yeah. but it's it's fine. But yeah, I mean, again, I I'm a sucker for really experimental <laughs> stuff, and I also enjoy like good wacky comedy. So I still really like the first yes. anime, and I definitely really appreciate that episode in particular. But I mean, for the core of the story, like definitely the manga and the new anime is the way yeah. to go. In terms of the other questions from Hungry Stingray, uh, a lot of the teams in the story have been about family creating bonds with one another. Is there a particular relationship you like most, and are there any relationships you wish were explored more? Mm, that's an interesting question. I always thought the relationships, so like we get, obviously we see Toru's relationship with her mom that's kind of slowly delivered through the story, but I always thought that the relationship that her friends had with her mom is really interesting too. So like, when Kyoko dies in the accident, we see like how much it hurt Uo and Hana as well, because they had their own sort of relationship with her mom, with Toru's mom, I mean. And we especially see in Uo's story that Toru's mom helped her kind of like leave the gang and be more confident about herself and offer that sort of like family style interaction that she didn't have with her father because they had grown apart. And I always thought that that was a very touching relation. Those relationships with Toru's mom, other than Toru's, are very touching and interesting. And we don't get to see a lot of information about them. But I guess it would be interesting to see them explored a little bit more. There's just, like, not a lot of time for backstory, you know? <laughs> and even, like, <clears throat> with Katsuya, who's Toru's dad, who we haven't talked about very much yet. But his there's, like, some comments in their backstory uh, where... Toru's grandfather says that Kyoko kind of brought them together more like they had a strained relationship and Kyoko was instrumental in um, helping Toru's father and grandfather like kind of reconnect too so I think that those things would be interesting and to explore like we don't get to see them but I always thought they were those are interesting things that are commented upon about Kyoko that we don't really get to see very much she seems to have made an impact in a lot of people's lives even Kyo like we see later in the series Mm mm-hmm so I guess those are that's an answer to both questions. Like, would you, is there something you wish was explored more, and also like a favorite, you know, kind of relationship that's in the story for me? Yeah, I agree. Like, I really love Kyoko's relationships with Arisa in particular. Like, I do really love that seeing how she and Toru are so close gives Arisa kind of the encouragement to try and repair a relationship with her father, and we see that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, she's cooking for him now. Like, they do have a relationship now, which is really, really nice. And I also agree. Like, I really uh, wish we did get more background on Katsuya's relationship with his dad, Mm -hmm. Tori's grandfather. I think that could be an interesting story there, too. And I think that kind of the change that, you know, Tori's grandpa has, like, apparently he was, like, this very strict overbearing fodder but then after the passing of his wife like kind of really mellowed out and wanted to repair his relationship with his son and be more encouraging for his son and was really there for him and kyoko and toru like man like one of the biggest heartbreaking twists is like the revelation like you think at the beginning of the story like he has like kind of dementia because he's like calling toru 
Right. Kyoko, but then you realize that this was intentional all along because Toru was like so distraught after Kyoko's passing and having to leave like her home mm-hmm. that like and being worried like everything of Kyoko's was leaving and gone like that she he kept calling her Kyoko just to make it like clear to her that you know Kyoko is still yeah. with them spiritually like even if she is like gone and her home is gone like the memories of Kyoko live on in mm. her. And that was such like a big heartbreaking twist. And then of course, Kyo asked him about it later and he tells him, you know, it was at some point he recognized Toru realized what he was doing, but he continued to do it for himself yeah. too, because he also wanted to keep remembering. Yeah. She was a person so. who was deeply missed and we get to see that in the series. It's very, it's heart wrenching. The whole, the whole, like those chapters where it's like, when Katsuya died, one of the things that I always remember is like when Tor's like, oh, they're like talking. Tor's mom calls him and they're like, oh, yeah, we should maybe we should consider having a like a brother or sister for Toru. Then the next like morning, she gets the call that he's dead. And it's like so heart wrenching. Yeah. And then like immediately after that, and like the chapter or two after that, then it's like then you see all the backstory with Kyoko and and Toru and Kyoko's death. So it's like Toru's parents just it's like a it's just a heart wrenching part of the story. Oh my god. Like how incredibly despondent Kyoko is after Katsuya's death and to the point where she like is like I, I just wanna be with it and she like <laughs> leaves Toru and contemplates suicide and then only after seeing like just some a mother and child she realizes, oh, No, I, I still have Toru yes. and I have to be what have I been doing? Have I been taking care yeah. of her? I, I, like her grandpa's been around so what what have i been doing all this time toru is i've been leaving her alone and she runs back and like toru welcomes mm-hmm. her home but then we also see that you know toru was always there for kyoka but toru internally was like so mm-hmm. scared that like her mother was going to leave her and she became resentful of her father mm-hmm. leaving dying because of that and she tried to act like her father in terms of politeness to yes. make it so that her mom wouldn't leave her so it's like, oh my yes, god, it's a whole... just this web of sad <laughs> Web of guilt and sadness and abandonment issues, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh my god. For sure. Yeah, Tora's uh, relationship with her father is one I find really interesting. Like, we obviously couldn't get more of that by the nature of the story, but like her complicated feelings toward him were, like, she remembers him a little bit, but not very much, and so she kind of put that, like, resentment on him. Like, when asked about it, she's like, I know he wasn't a bad man, but, like, I kind of put those feelings on him. Because we see in the flashbacks that he, like, absolutely doted on her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I like how we get kind of a sort of implied resolution to that complicated feeling on Toru's end with, um, like, her father's picture being put next to her mother's and it being, like, a family picture yeah, instead of the individual picture of uh, Kyoko at the end. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was really beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think there's other, I mean, there's so many good relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of like, like less front and center ones I was thinking of that I'd like to see more of. Like, I like the relationship between Kyo and Momiji. They have <laughs> yeah. like, like kind of a weird, almost sibling like relationship. But also, yeah. Momiji's like, like pretty like aware of like all the situation with Kyo and everything. <laughs> Like, the bit at the end where he's talking about how, like, he's like, I'm going to stop, like, not thinking about it. I'm going to stop giving up on the cat and all that stuff. Mm. Yeah. And where he's, like, kind of encouraging him to 
like move forward with Toru, even though he's also in love with Toru with the like Yes. It's like maybe Toru will accept when I confess now. <laughs> it's like so maybe you should get on that. <laughs> yeah. I mm-hmm. love that teasing. Yes. I admit I think Momiji having feelings for Toru, I wish that was like introduced earlier because mm-hmm. I feel like it only comes in towards the end of the series and the arc. Yeah. So I was like, hmm, I was I feel like they were had were definitely very good friends before, but like I definitely didn't read that Momiji was romantically interested until like after the growth yeah. spurt. But it's kind of a hard by read. that point it's not I think it's one of those yeah. ones that those things that you can kind of see it when you reread it, knowing where it's going forward. Yeah. Kind of the same as like y- Yuki's feelings for yeah. Toru, where like yeah. it seems like we're like, huh, that was out of nowhere. But then like when you reread it, and you're like, okay, I can kind of see this coming. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely curious when I reread if I can pick up on that. But definitely first time going through, I was like, oh. Yeah, he's definitely like flirty with her, and you think it's just his like kind of personality or whatever. Like Momiji's super; he's presented as being like kind of bubbly and extroverted and whatever. And you're like, oh, he's probably just like, you know, like just trying to be cute. But then you go back and look at it, and you're like, oh, you had these feelings the whole time. Like he <laughs> tries to get away with like sleeping with her at the onsen and like trying to spend time with her and like always like kind of being physically close with her and stuff too. So I think it's like it's hard to read, but it's kind of there. I think one of the ones sure. that like stuck out to me the yeah. most is at the uh, during the beach arc when uh, they're all like you know grumping about how they have to go see Akito <laughs> and yeah leave Toru behind and he's being kind of like flipping about it or whatever but he and then he's like but I really do want to go back soon and has this kind of like <laughs> fond smile and the like you know shoujo bubble yeah. surrounded image of Toru <laughs> yeah mm. shoujo bubbles are important we yes. all know that's the true <laughs> communicator I think what it needs though is like more like more introspection about his feelings like that's really what's missing that would communicate it better i guess mm-hmm. yeah, we there aren't really any chapters from his perspective yeah even like his when he's telling her the story of his like childhood that's probably the only time there's something in his pov but it's almost like from his parents or hattori's point of view like it's mm-hmm. he's almost like dissociated from it a little bit yeah and it's kind of shown through the lens of like toru's reaction to hearing yeah, it that's true mm-hmm. so maybe that would clarify it i guess but yeah we don't really get any introspection or a deeper look at their relationship other than like the violin playing scene like the sneaking into the house scene and stuff like that mm-hmm. yeah and then like the post-growth spurt of momiji's glow up yes. <laughs> like <laughs> feelings get explored a little bit more for sure it would be interesting to see that his perspective on thing a lot of things like even his relationship with momo too like we don't really get a lot of Momiji just introspection in general, I guess. Mm-hmm. And they have an interesting relationship too. Mm-hmm. Speaking of character relationships, I think are interesting. There's a lot implied in their like interaction. Like they've been watching each other, and then we don't ever see anything more from that. Like I think there might be something mentioned about it in another, but I haven't read another, so I'm not sure. But it seems like it'd be nice to see if they could reconnect or what their future is like. But we don't really get to see that explored. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, but I am definitely curious to revisit and then track like uh, those little details for sure. Mm-hmm. But you now that's another detail that I also wish was in the conclusion was like Momiji playing the <laughs> Fly Me to the Moon. <laughs> I wish that had been included. Yeah. But yeah, I, 
I think it is really nice that at the end of the series, Mumiji's like, hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm sad that I'm probably, I'm not going to get Victoria, but I'm going to ha- get a <laughs> great uh, wife. I'm going to have a big, great family. Yeah. And we'll visit and show how far how we are. <laughs> so I, I do like that he's like looking forward to it. Hey, I'm going to, you know, create a new family for yeah. myself. So. He's looking forward to like I think that's really building nice. his life and his future, which is <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. I have been racking my brain this entire time to think of like what is my favorite central relationship in this story as well, <sighs> which is hard because there's so many good relationships, not just romantic, but sort of course yes. friendships. So I mean, I really honestly like Toru and Saki and Arisa's friendship. Mm a lot and i think that they're incredibly supportive of one another i like that sakinaries are always looking out for toru because they know like how self-sacrificing they can be and they Mm. really really care to be honest i also thought for a lot in the beginning that saki actually had like feelings for Mm. toru like romantically because she definitely made like comments that suggested that and then later when she had like interest in Chisho is like because he was compared to Toru. Mm. So it's like mm. that's interesting. <laughs> Ultimately the series is kinda hetero yeah. <laughs> but even so, like I think the friendship is very, very strong and the relationship is very good. And like the end of the series where, you know, they're talking to you and saying, you know, we're gonna be sad to like leave Toru, but hey, we know you're a good guy, and we always give you flack for being, you know, kind of irresponsible at times, but, like, we know you'll take care of Toru, so you like, do right by her, you know? So, I thought that was really nice, too. Like, they, they know they're gonna eventually have to go their separate ways, but, like, you know, they're they're happy that Toru has found someone that she loves that will be by her, so... I like their friendship a whole lot. I agree with you. And I also really like the scene, the post, post, uh, Kyoko's kind of breaking Risa out of the gang scene. She cries and she mm-hmm. says that she wants to be a better friend for Toru. Like, I always found that that was really sweet. Yeah. I really like that scene. And mm-hmm. of course, like the, the oh scenes gosh, from yeah. Hana's backstory too, where I also love the scene. We, not the one where she, they go to find Hana after the incident, but like when they meet her the first time. And yeah, you're like, Toru's like, well, being friends with me might not be that great either. And Uo's like, yeah, we're super weird. Like, I don't remember exactly what they say, but they have this really self-effacing, like, well, being friends with us might not be that great. But obviously, it was <laughs> it was a great relationship. It does, there, um, also in that time, it does seem like like uh, Saki might have feelings for her. We had talked about that before, too. We were like, this is, like, very strongly mm-hmm. implying uh, something about their relationship. And yeah, it's a, actually a good point. I never thought about how, obviously, Shisho and... Or like Kazuma and Toru were very similar, so yeah, it kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. But that idea is not explored. The series is very has a very strong heteronormative lean. That's like a modern day criticism of it, I think, which is valid. So mm-hmm. you know, that's why we don't get any more exploration of Ritsu's yeah. character. That's why everybody ends up in kind of a like a heterosexual relationship at the end, or just nothing. You know, <laughs> like they like uh, Momiji and Kagura don't end up with mm-hmm. anybody. Like anyway, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I agree, their friendship is very touching, and it's friendship goals level. <laughs> Aspirational, I guess. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Honestly, I also think that Saki's relationship with Megumi oh, yeah. 
as a brother-sister relationship is also very sweet, too. Like, even mm. uh, as a kid, like, Megumi was kind of recognizing Saki's loneliness and looking out for her. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like that I like a lot her too. whole family relationship. It's like, yeah. I feel like looking at a character like her, you would think, like, oh, she's got a like forbidding, unsupportive family, but they're, like, the most supportive <laughs> family. Like- <laughs> they're like, we'll change schools for you. We'll, like, we gotta get everything. And her brother is like, oh, I hope that, I hope that someday somebody we can be friends with, that Saki finds, like, the friends that are right for her mm-hmm. and all this other stuff and yeah. finds love in the world. Like, it's so sweet. Mm-hmm. Even her grandmother's the, uh, there, too. <laughs> and when they have the, the parent-teacher conferences, and she's like, I think I'll graduate. And her mom's like, you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. I think they are the most supportive yeah. family in the entire series. <laughs> like, unquestionably. Like, they love each other and are always trying to help each mm-hmm. other. Like, yeah. Definitely. That That's definitely, like, family. Goals, <laughs> yeah. <I suppose>. As <laughs> well. <laughs> In terms of relationships I wish were explored more, I guess, honestly, uh, to go back to Ritsu as, like, mm-hmm. the most underexplored character, probably Ritsu and Mitsuru yeah. probably should have been explored more in terms of development, because they're very similar characters and how, like, they all, like, overreact mm-hmm. and stuff. And then there's, like, a bone, one-page, like, bonus comic that's in, like, the 12th, uh, the final one of, like, a Yen Press release that was, like, showing them on a date. <laughs> Yeah, And I'm like, you know, I think if you had shown them, like, kind of bulk in their relationships to each other, learn to like, get past, like, this apologetic, constantly worried, like, uh, angle of their character, I think that would have been a good thing to, like, kind of have closure and development for that character. Because, yeah, sure. like, again, by the end of the series, it's like, have they really grown? <laughs> like, characters are saying they haven't, and then the symbolic thing is like they're giving up the, you know, clothes, but they're still acting the same. Yeah. It's like, eh, I don't know. But yeah, I think that's one that could have been expanded upon. Sure. As well as, like, probably give the character more relationships to other characters. Because I think that's another reason why they aren't in the story as much as, like, they don't have connections with the other characters. Yeah. Uh, so they can't come into the story at any point. And it's kind of, why Yuki is the most developed character is that he's involved in more characters' mm. stories, like pretty much every other character's story in some way, so he can come into their plot arcs. But, like, that's true. The less characters uh, a character in the series is connected with, the less chances they have to appear or really have development of their yeah, own. That's something I kind of like in the uh, new anime, in the uh, adaptation of Ritsu's chapters. They uh, kind of expanded his like relationship with Mits- Mitsuru in those. In that episode a little bit, gave them a little more time mm-hmm. together on screen, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked that. I thought that was a good change. They took like a scene that Ritsu has with Toru and put Mitsuru in it, mm-hmm. which is really great. I liked that a lot. They yeah. need to have more time together. <laughs> and it would have been yeah. nice to explore <laughs> because, yeah, we don't really see if their situations are resolved. The only resolution is like, yeah, Ritsu's wearing men's clothes. And then Michan Shigure stopped writing or whatever, so she's free of him being his editor, yeah. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Which is hilarious, but not necessarily great character growth, I guess. Yeah. So they're there for kind of like comic relief. Yeah. Like that's part of the problem with Ritsu, and I think why people are you know, like the series had the chance at certain like represent non heteronormative representation and it's just wasted away on like comedy, basically, which kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean 
I brought it up earlier, but again, exploring ideas of gender presentation yeah. and taking ownership of how you present yourself could have been contrasted well if totally. you had like some sort of relationship or conflict between Mitsu and Akito. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I wish that had been an area that the series had tackled. That would be interesting. Yeah, it kind of like it like yeah. brings it up, but doesn't really go anywhere with it. So you kind of like oh, and then you're like oh no, never mind. Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> But speaking of Akito, our next question is, is Akito a redeemable character in our opinion? And are there any characters we don't think are redeemable? I think yes, Akito is definitely a redeemable character. <laughs> like Akito, it's a little bit tricky because you get, again, like both presentations of like both characters like Rin who are like, I'll never forgive Akito, which is fine. Akito <laughs> did horrible, horrible things to Rin. Um, but like... Akito does try to make changes in the family, and I think the most interesting thing is that, like, Akito at the end doesn't, like, doesn't just give kind of, like, empty words. There's, like, one meeting with the Junishi where she's just like, this is who I am now. Like, I hope you all can go and be yourselves. But then she goes around and does all these things, like, talks to Kyo's dad and, like, puts him in his place and then tries to make change within the family and stuff. And it's implied that she's doing a lot of work within the family, and I think that that's important. Like, Akito definitely tries to change and become a better person and i think that that's redeemable and yeah, i think I that think... Toru's family is the non-redeemable people no i'm just kidding <laughs> <But> <laughs> yeah, i think redemption <laughs> is something you do rather than like something you are so i think like <laughs> yeah akito continuing if as long as akito continues to try and be better and make up for the things she did then she continues to be a redeemable character yeah like, I think the characters that Absolutely. Like, aren't quote-unquote redeemable are the ones that are making no effort to change and don't feel like they've done anything mm-hmm. wrong and need to change, like Kyo's dad and, I don't know, even Ren and the maid to some degree, although they're a little more complicated <laughs> in their attitudes, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think Akito does go on the path of redemption when she tries to do right by the Reverse Zodiac at the end and lets them go and takes it upon herself to improve things in the Sona mm-hmm. family. So, again, forgiveness of her is dependent on each individual that mm-hmm. she, you know, hurt, but she herself is trying to make amends to me about a person. So, again, it is that effort that is showing that, yeah, you can become a better person. And, um, yeah. Like we did mention this, uh, but yeah, like there are the characters that refuse to change are the ones who won't and won't get better. But I don't think the series's mentality is like there aren't any characters that can't be redeemed, Mm. like they have the potential to be. It's just that they have to take it upon themselves to embrace that change first. When someone reach out reaches out to them or is like willing to offer them, they need to take their hand. So. Had me, you know, kind of just walking away from Akito. It's like, it's up to her ultimately whether or not she is willing to move forward and change. It's never too late, even for her who is in her 60s, but she has to be willing to mm-hmm. put in the work to do it and not be mm-hmm. afraid to do it. Now we're going to a question about have there been moments or messages uh, in the series, learns through a character that have touched you the most, like resonated with you the most. Well, we talked about Yuki a lot mm-hmm. already. I think his this time particular reading through it, the most recent read through that we did, his growth and trying to put himself out there, I think, touched me 
a lot. At other times, it's been like the relationship that Kyoko and Katsuya had, despite what you, you know, like people have different opinions about how sketchy and pedophilic their relationship <laughs> is. But that all aside, yeah, I think that they're the way that they impacted each other and how, you know, deeply saddened she was by his death was touching to me in the past. And also, I'm trying to think of, there was something else I was going to say. In terms of, like, a message, we also discussed this earlier, but just the idea of, like, making sure that you tell people the the way that you feel about them, like, the positive things that you like about them, because that helps them develop a self-image. That was one of the earliest things I took away from this series. It's, like, communicated through Yuki and Kisa and even, like, Hana, Hana's backstory to a certain extent. Like, someone needs to... It's hard to accept yourself sometimes or find the good qualities about yourself. So being a person who points out those things in other people is kind of important. Like it's important to tell your friends and family the things that you appreciate about them or say thank you to them or those kinds of things. So I think those are the things, the main things that's definitely I found touching personally and helpful as helpful if, as learnings from the series personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, I would agree that that whole... I think the umabashi on the back concept is one of the like first ones that kind of struck me, like watching Fruits Basket the first time. It's like a lesson that kind of like sticks with you about the idea that you know everyone's got qualities that they can't see in themselves, but other people can see them. And I think like as I grew up and like you know revisited the series, I think the whole general concept of like Shigure's line about you know, hurting and getting hurt and growing as a, and that's how you grow as a person kind of like, you know, struck with me, like, as I was, you know, growing as a person and everything. When you were getting hurt and hurting other yes. people. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going out on the streets, kicking people in the shins. <laughs> it's like I'm growing as a person. <laughs> growing your muscles from kicking people, yes. obviously. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I would... I definitely agree with the umaboshi sort of like the everyone has like good qualities that you need to you other people recognizing and then telling you can help you grow but then also the message a lot of I think the things that have resonated with me especially from when I first watched the series when I was younger definitely involved Yuki's character mm. arc and messages to him so like the conversation with Toru about kindness and that you know people aren't born kind but like it's something that you work towards being and there are different forms of kindness that are shown mm. by people and then also of course with Kisa like with the letter of like yeah I can't recognize the good qualities of myself I think you need someone to be able to reach out to you and show you that first before you can really change but also like you know, when he decides to, like, go forward and to take the student council president position, like, the message of what's important is the determination to change. Like, again, like, making the effort is, Mm. like, the most important thing. Like, that is the start of everything, of, like, what makes change happen, what makes the improvement in your life happen. So I I appreciated that uh, as, like, a message that is, like, yeah, like change can happen and it's possible, but as so long as you are willing to fight for it, to put in the work for it, 
and don't let yourself be afraid to embrace it. So, yeah, I really appreciated mm-hmm. that. And now we have a question from International Grab 83 who asks, reading the book as a kid, then would my kid, and now seeing the beautiful animated, give such different views of each character. So, who was the character that changed the most to you, and is your favorite still your favorite? So, it's similar to uh, the previous question about characters we like, who we grew to love, but a little bit of a different vent. Like, is our favorite character originally our favorite character still now? I mean, I would say, like, I think the characters that were my favorites were characters like Toru and Rin. Um, and I like Kyo a lot as a like the first time I read the story. I think that all my favorite characters really stayed the same, like in terms of how how I feel about them or whatever. Like seeing some of the scenes later that we're seeing now in these recent episodes of like Rin's story finally getting animated because she wasn't in the series like at all in the original anime, and I think hadn't even come into the manga at that point probably yeah it's an interesting point we forgot to mention the production back serialization background right. of fruits basket but uh, the series started in summer of 1998 it ended in november 2006 but there was a one-year break after nasuka kind of broke her hand yeah, she had surgery you know, or something for it yeah her drawing hand and it was like 2000 to 2001 it was basically a full year of the series on break. It was like right in the middle of the Ritsu arc, actually. Oh. So during the point where the series was on break, though, that's when the anime was announced. And the anime started broadcasting about a month before the manga came back. Uh, so by the time the anime was airing, like the most recent thing would have been like the Ritsu storyline. So Rin probably would have been just introduced as the anime was like, starting to mm-hmm. wrap up but by that time there isn't enough information about her to really put in the series so i can see why they avoided her and especially you know not discuss who the bird is because i don't think karena would have been in i don't the think he was even yeah i don't think by so the time. yeah yeah that's true yeah. but yeah so seeing rin animated is nice and but it hasn't changed anything in terms of characters that i think have changed the not the most but like 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 I said, we said it a lot, like Yukiya just didn't relate with him and now I find him even better. And I think his later like attitude comes across well in the anime. Like mm-hmm. he's still very like emotionally emotional and introspective, but his like outward attitude of like sass that develops later, <laughs> which is great is great, comes through well <laughs> and it pairs well with like the student council. Like we get to see Kakaru. Uh, I feel like Ayame, I agree with you, Ayame and Haru both benefit from being animated their characters in the manga benefit from seeing them animated because like <laughs> it's just you can't just be bombastic and loud in text like that just doesn't uh-huh. work you know <laughs> mm-hmm. so but yeah I, I don't know i feel like my favorites haven't changed but i appreciate more characters more and i'm excited about seeing them animated mm-hmm. i guess yeah i guess might have changed a little bit i know my favorite back in the high school days was definitely Kyo. And I still like him a lot, but I wouldn't call him my favorite anymore. I'm not sure who I would call my favorite, but like I really like yeah. uh, Momiji and Kakeru and Ayame and Yuki and yeah, other characters like uh, like Rin, who didn't get into the first anime, and Toru, who's you know most of her development wasn't really in the first anime. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I think I would agree with you guys in that my favorites also have not really changed that much. Because my favorites were Yuki and Toru, and I think that's still the case. They're still, like, for me, like, their arcs are so compelling, and there's so much I love about their growth, and just their the essential core of the characters. But um, beyond that, I also would agree that, like, Rin is a favorite character of mine, and, like, she was definitely up there for me in terms of favorite characters in the series. So I'm glad to have finally read the entirety of the manga to, you know, get to characters like her uh, and Akito. And, yeah, really, Akito is, like, a character who, of course, is, like, completely changed because there's so right. much more depth to Akito in the manga. So, like, to think that I would count Akito among my favorites because of, like, her development is definitely... Uh, Something that before, with only through the anime, I wouldn't have thought. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I think my favorites are still my favorites. And honestly, I think my appreciation of all the characters has mm. grown. I think the only one that I still feel probably the same about is Ritsu. Uh, because Ritsu doesn't really get <laughs> any more stuff in the, yeah. in the manga. But, uh, and then I guess Machoku Minagawa, like, I still like her as much as I did, uh, even in the manga, like even without the comedic embellishments <laughs> of the anime, yeah. uh, the first one. Because, like, I, I mean, there's more closure, I guess, in the manga because she actually does confess to Yuki. But, like, it already felt like there was closure <laughs> even earlier than that when she, like, it's kind of when she freaks out. About like the other Yuki member, like kind of having more of rapport mm-hmm. with Yuki, and then she's like, "Stop interfering, getting in my way." And then she has like a moment of self-actualization there about like what mm-hmm. Yuki means to her, or whatever. So that was in the first anime. So I feel that my understanding of the characters pretty much the yeah. same there too. But in terms of a character who is a, who is pretty fundamentally different from <laughs> the anime and manga. So this guy is like being direct, Darwin Sun Chan. They're saying, Do you hate Shiguri? <laughs> and they also ask who is the character we think has the best backstory. But uh, the first part of that, do we hate Shiguri? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know why anyone could misconstrue my feelings about Shiguri. <laughs> I don't hate him. I just think he's really sketchy. And I. And some people, there's a, I guess, it seems like there's a big debate about Shigure currently in the fandom. Because I think a lot of people, what happened is, or at least what I assume happened is a lot of people saw the first anime and they're like, Shigure is great. He's so funny. He's so nice and funny, which <laughs> he can be. And then there is a much darker spin on him in this version of the anime and also in the manga at points because of his desire to break the curse so that he can have a singular relationship with Akito, it seems like. And I've complained a lot about him on our show, which <laughs> I don't know if this is why this person asked this question or if it's just like because it's it seems to be a thing. I've seen other people kind of like talking about this on the Internet. But like, yeah, no, I don't hate him. There's nothing to hate about him. He's just I think it's maybe personal. I just don't trust him. Like he has an ulterior motive, right? Like he obviously has an ulterior motive and he uses he manipulates everyone around him to get what he wants. But yeah, he's not it's not like I hate him. He's a very interesting character, mm-hmm. and he's a core. You know, like Toru wouldn't be there if he didn't have his house in the woods. Like, the series wouldn't move forward without mm-hmm. him pushing people to change. 
Mm-hmm. So like he's he's an important character, but it's not a hate. <laughs> he's just sketchy, yo. Like that's all I'm s i got to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I wouldn't want to be uh BFS with him in real life, but uh <laughs> he's a, a really great character and like just really fascinating and I love the like the contrast between his like moments of kindness and moments of selfishness and Yeah. How he's manipulating people and like he seems to be trying to manipulate them for good reasons, but he's still being like <laughs> really <mark>. manipulative <laughs> and awful to people sometimes. So yeah, he's just a really fascinating character. Mm-hmm. I'd agree. Like I don't hate Shiguri. I think Shiguri's a fascinating character. And I think he serves a very interesting role. Like it is because that he makes kind of like this deal with Akito and like kinda is testing Akito to see, like, hey, let Toru live in our house. And Akito's like, yeah, okay. She'll reject Kyo and Yuki, and that will be good for me. That'll turn them back to me and realize they can't leave me. But then, like, I think a great moment early on is, like, after uh, Yuki and Kyo do, like, kind of bail on the Soma New Year's party to spend it with Toru instead. And Shigure is like, you lose, Akito. <laughs> or like, you're pathetic. Like, you, like, that is kind of like the whole conflict is that Shigure is trying to kind of break everyone's deference mm-hmm. to Akito. Like, he's trying to have everyone kind of recognize their own independence and ability to break away from the family so that that will in turn make Akito realize she can't like keep things the same and control any, everyone and then also it'll make her realize that she also needs to let go of this baggage she has with her father her status as the god of the Soma family, and then they can finally have like a re- proper like relationship with each other, like him and her, like romantically, mm-hmm. because he can't do that with her the way she is at the beginning of the series, where she like thinks of the zodiacs as like things and less than people, like things that she controls and that has to bend to her whims rather than like people with their own agency and then Shigure like as a person who loves her for who she is and not as the god of the zodiac and isn't like going to be with her just because Mm -hmm. she is that so I think there's a well-meaning point to Shigure's actions he just goes about it in a manipulative way and can be a little cruel in in his bloodless Mm -hmm. especially when he tells Toru the whole deal about Kyo's role mm. in the family. Yeah. And then there is that moment, like, when all is done, Hattori <laughs> asks him, like, and so did this go how you expected? And he is kind of like, well, not <laughs> quite exactly. So I think he does feel guilt that, you know, people did get hurt in the process of the scheme. Like, namely, Toru did get very <laughs> hurt. So he does feel guilt about that. He does feel bad about that. But Ultimately, like, he was trying to do help the other members of the family and Akito mm-hmm. uh, through this scheme. So I think it was very interestingly and well done. Yeah, for sure. It's like, you can't say he's he's not kind, but 
you can't say that he yeah it's it's yeah he's a weird it's tricky he's an interesting character (laughs) yes like really cruel and manipulative to be kind like is that that's how it goes right (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. i remember the lyrics very catchy (laughs) so best backstory Mm. what are your guys opinions well i do love uo's backstory and of course, like I mentioned, her tie-in with Kyoko. You know, I wish we got to see a little bit more of, like, Akira's backstory. So Akito's father and the the family, like the maid and stuff, because the maid was there in Akira's backstory too, and Ren's. So like, be kind of cool to see like other. I mean, maybe it would just be the same. That's kind of the <laughs> whole thing about the Soma family. But I don't know if they have like the best backstory, but it's certainly interesting how the family kind of came to be that way. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, yeah, I think Akito's backstory is one that stands out just for, like, how much it explains about Akito. Like, once you get, like, the full backstory on how Akito was raised and Akito's parents, you're just like, oh, I see where all these issues came from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. And I think Momiji's also stands out just for being... Um, yeah just for being like just so tragic so early on like i think it's like like one of the first like really upsetting like backstories you see and so it kind of like you're like whoa um especially for such a like outwardly happy character that it still stands out even after you get like other terrible horrible backstories i guess like the first one was satori and kana so you're like oh well kana kana got like mixed up you know like she got mixed up with the dark family and then you see omiji's and you're like oh his parents completely rejected him yeah. like it's another level of a complete other level of mm-hmm. like bad horrible things happening yeah so yeah, yeah like there's a <laughs> difference between out. like you know like Hattori's tragic backstory happening while he was you know an adult and like Momiji's happening when he was so small <laughs> tiny baby yeah <laughs> yeah true yeah man there are so many really impactful backstories I mean, the ones that have stuck with me the longest that I've all, I've always remembered because they were in the first anime were Hattori's and mm. Omiji's. Like, even though I went so long without visiting the series, like, I always remember those. Uh, those stories always stuck with me. And then reading the manga, though, there's also so many more fraught with, like, emotion. Like, we mentioned Kyoko's backstory, but, like, the... I find, the, of course, the relationship with Kyoko and Katsuya yeah. problematic. I think that the if I have a really big criticism of the series, it's that it does romanticize problematic relationships between teenagers mm-hmm. and adults. And there's like more than one example of that. And I I think that's a bad message. There's like a author, there's like a comment in like one of those uh sidebars at one point where Take is saying, So long as there's love, age doesn't matter. I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> That's not a good message. But the emotional yeah. aspect of that backstory is really moving, especially like the chapter post Cassia's yes. death and seeing Kyoko so despondent and then realizing what she has in Toru and trying to do right by her as a mother and then the impact that has on Toru. Like that relationship between Kyoko and Toru is like really moving mm-hmm. to me the more we learn about it throughout the course of the series. And also Rin's backstory, both with her relationship with her parents and then her relationship with Haru, is really, like, moving to me. 
like in the tragic elements and also like the elements of connection that she forms with Haru mm-hmm. and like Haru like standing up for her against her parents like abandoning her and like getting mad on her behalf and like her crying and crying for mm-hmm. him standing up for her so that part is great yes I really appreciated that but yeah I mean Fruits Basket like every character story is gonna make <laughs> you cry with the possible exception <laughs> of Kimmy's story is obviously the best Kimmy's is gonna make you laugh <laughs> yeah it's only it's only uh, one page and a half but uh, gets gets the job done you really know everything about a character after Nothing that more page is and needed. But yeah, I mean, that I guess is our last really heavy uh, <laughs> question, but we got a few lighter ones off of Twitter. First from a friend of the show, Jekka, who asked, like, what zodiac animal are we and which one would we like mm. to be? Oh, that's always an interesting question because it's like, how do you interpret it? But I mean, I'm the horse. Uh, I wouldn't mind being a horse, I guess. You could run really far, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> and then in terms of like, didn't we answer this question? That's really feels like really familiar. Probably did. It might have been I on think our you guys did on one of your yeah maybe episodes. Yeah, and it was like so we interpreted it as like what animal would you want to be if you could be one of the zodiac animals? And I think that it, I said maybe the seahorse, maybe the dragon <laughs> slash seahorse. Because I don't know, I like it's like do I you like get to be an actual dragon or do you have That'd to be, be a seahorse? Cool. <laughs> I wouldn't mind being dragon. Sounds pretty rad. <laughs> maybe you could like breathe fire and stuff. <laughs> I don't think I'd enjoy being a seahorse. They just kind of <laughs> hang around. on to things, and then the waves come. And they're like, oh. <laughs> oh no! But they're the most interesting fish. Yeah, look at them. <laughs> That's a pretty bold claim. There's a lot of fish in the world. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right. There's, there are so many fish. They're the most interesting, um, bony, non-cartilaginous fish. We have. I don't know how much of our like extra content you ever listened to. We talk about animals a lot. We used to talk about animals a lot <laughs> because of these questions. I think. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> oh, yeah. myself. Well, I am year of the boar. I was born in nineteen ninety-five, so I have a kinship with Kagura in that respect, but. I think in terms of the animal I'd like to be, uh, I think being a bird would be nice just because, just for utilitarian reasons, like, maybe it'd be faster to get to places, <laughs> or it would maybe just be fun storms <laughs> through the air. You know? Very practical. So, yeah. Because I feel like transforming into a bird, like, you know, at least you can make a quick getaway. <laughs> Uh, so people That's find true. You could have just been any bird that was there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm also you're the horse. So. I don't know. Horses are fine. <laughs> <laughs> Be a horse. Yeah, horses are cool. Horses yeah. are fast runners. Yeah, you could also contribute to my my goal of kicking people. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Horses are yeah. powerful kicks. <laughs> If you could call, if I could be a rat and call my rat brother in to me, that might be useful yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. If you had that power, that'd also be very useful. <laughs> yeah. Jekka asked also who our favorite character was, but I think we answered that. Unless we have anything more to, any other ones we want to bring up. Mm-hmm. I think we covered it. You know, we talked about how much we love Yuki. Yeah. <laughs> 
and kinky, yeah. most importantly. <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess we well, we haven't talked about Ren very much, oh. and it's not that she's a favorite, but she's oh. super creepy, and I like that about her. Yeah. Does that count? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were talking on one of our recent anime episodes about how she's like a character from like a horror series that's been like transplanted yeah. into Fruits Basket. She's so creepy. She's yeah. like a witch. I mean, honestly, I... I feel for Akita's relationship with Ren, just because Ren, I think, is someone who is suffering from yeah. some undisclosed mm-hmm. mental illness, and the way she lashes out and acts so erratically is something that I have recognized, and so it feels very mm-hmm. real to me. And similarly, I feel the same way for, like, Kureno's relationship with Akito and, like, him feeling obligated to stick Mm. with her like even though she treats him so badly because like he sees that she is suffering and he knows that she is alone so he he feels like he can't leave her side even though Mm. he is hurting that's also something that i have kind of recognized from experience so like i really feel for that relationship dynamic between them Mm. in that respect like it that really hits close to, to I feel like some real life, really tragic, abusive mm-hmm. relationships with you know a mentally ill parent <laughs> who is mm-hmm. abusive. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, yeah, and I think what's also good about Ren as a character, though, is that I think Takaya does portray that that she is not like one dimensionally cruel there is like an insecurity a fear of hers of being left mm-hmm. alone too and so she doesn't necessarily get into the relationship with uh Akito's dad out of malice like there's clearly like they loved him but it was like an obsessive unhealthy kind of love there is some deeper problems with her that she never was able to work through probably mm-hmm. when she was younger and so now it's like gonna be a real struggle for her and from what i've heard in another it doesn't seem like she will grow out of that which is a shame but sometimes that that happens but i think it's like a good kind of wrench serves like as a good like kind of dark parallel to what akito Mm -hmm. could become if she didn't meet toru and did not make the decision to break free from like all this negativity resentment uh, that was kind of holding yeah. her back. That's true. Ren is like Ren is an interesting character because she's just as isolated as Akito. But the thing that makes her sort of like I don't know non redeemable, I guess, if you want to talk about it that way, is her inability or resistance to change as well. Like we talked about that too. Mm-hmm. It's her and Ren and the maid never really seem to want to change. Ren is stuck, still stuck in the idea that she was like the best. Thing for Akira that she was the only one who really loved Akira and all these other things like she's definitely got this sort of like grandiose sense of herself and that her relationship mm-hmm. with Akira is more special than Akito's and that you know created the some problems for Akito as well but yeah yeah it was unfortunate very mm-hmm. possessive I mean I think it's just such a brilliant like symbolic metaphor in the series that the thing she was trying to steal away from Akito, like the box that was a keepsake from her father was Mm -hmm. just an empty box. Mm -hmm. There was nothing in it, but it was just like this thing that 
kind of trapped both Akito and mm. her there is just like this memory of uh, Akira and like that desperation to cling mm. onto it and not move away from it. And that just like kind of holding back their lives and really moving mm-hmm. forward. But yeah, again, Ren is also a really mm-hmm. good character. I don't think there is a villain in Fruits yeah. Basket at all, but I think that she was a good antagonistic force towards mm-hmm. the series too. But if we are moving on from characters, we're going to end off with a, a little bit of a silly <laughs> one, which is, what is your favorite food <laughs> in the basket? And this comes from other friend of the show, Wesley Gale. Hmm. Well, the most important fruit in the fruit basket is onigiri, obviously. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. And if you won't accept onigiri as a valid choice, <laughs> then... In honor of Kyo, I would like some oranges. <laughs> in honor of old orangey. <laughs> Orange carrot, like carrot top, but you put carrots in a fruit basket? Is that... <laughs> or what did Kyoko call them? Orangey, like orangehead or orangey or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tori's favorite is strawberry, right? So strawberries. Yeah. All of these are great. I like pomegranates, I'm not sure they're a good basket fruit. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a basket fruit you should be able to just kind of grab and start eating. Enjoy it and, immediately. Yeah, and pomegranates take some uh, <laughs> some work. <laughs> Maybe a banana. I like bananas. Peaches are in season. How about peaches? <laughs> I like it. I could dig it. <laughs> I'm willing to entertain any and all questions. I don't know why this is. <laughs> Controversial in the fruit definition. Say tomatoes. <laughs> oh. Wow. Is it controversial? It's science. <laughs> it's uh, botanically uh, a fruit, but it's uh, culinarily, culinarily a vegetable. <laughs> no, it's distinctions, I suppose. But we will go with science yeah. on this one. I think it counts. Right, tomatoes in the fruit basket. Tomatoes and onigiri in the fruit yes. basket. Yeah. Also science. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Science haven't caught up to that, maybe, but uh, they will in the future. Well, if you put Just if you wait. put the plum in the onigiri oh, and then yeah. put the onigiri yeah. in the basket, I mean, I mean, rice rice go. is kind there of a go. fruit. It's a grain. It's the, you know. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> seaweed is the fruit of the sea? Question mark. I don't know. You know. <laughs> <We're good. laughs> And that's our last question. I mean, this is making me hungry for some fruit. Uh, I guess I'll have that for lunch. But yeah, if only Onigiri uh, really did grow mm-hmm. on trees and white fruits, so I could just pluck it from the sky that I got to have to prepare yes. for myself. But yeah, I mean, thank everyone for sending in their thank questions. You. And thank you guys, Ellen and Kayla, so much for coming on to this guest food. Thank basket. you for having us. Yeah, I mean, this was real pleasure. I mean, I'm glad that you guys started your podcast and then I'm glad that we were able to come on uh, today to discuss the series because I am so glad that I finally read the entirety of the series. Uh, I really wish I had read it earlier, but there's so much in the series that, you know, even just from the anime really stuck with me and that now there's just so much mm-hmm. more in the manga that I think is going to continue to stick with me. So through the good and bad, you know, we're going to keep moving forward and we'll have good memories in our hearts and minds and how all the years. But, yeah. 
But yeah, you guys, again, have done such a great job talking about Fruits Basket. So, you know, we spent a good few <laughs> hours talking about the series, but there's so much more to dig into. So I really recommend everyone go listen to Let's Stay Together and all of the your manga episodes where you have spent probably or 17, 18 more times, really, because <laughs> definitely it's been it's like 50 different episodes, like 50 hours. Yeah, at least, least. yeah. So, and that's just on the manga alone, not even counting mm. every episode I remember for the I said recently, I had counted recently, it was like over 100, a whole over 100 episodes for all the wow. series, the manga series, and what we had done so far in the anime. So we continue to discuss the anime every week. Yep. People want to check that out, too. So you don't even have to read the manga to mm-hmm. enjoy Let's Stay Together. <laughs> Yeah, but definitely do read it because definitely read it. the manga is definitely worth reading for, like, again, we didn't really talk about it much, but Takaya has some really great that art. That too, yeah. And, like, can really convey some amazing moments of, like, emotional mm-hmm. despair with her character's facial expressions and also, like, her placement of her effects she uses for balloons mm-hmm. and screams and mm-hmm. different lettering techniques. It's like, it's uh, some very mm-hmm. impactful art, so definitely, definitely check, read her original manga. But yeah, I mean, again, check out all of Let's Stay Together. But you guys also have a new podcast yes. coming out soon on another series. If you guys want to sure. explore another that. classic early two thousand series, <laughs> <laughs> so we're releasing in October. Starting October third, we'll be releasing a series that goes in depth into the Full Metal Alchemist manga. So if you're a fan of that anime and you've never read the manga or you're a fan of the manga and you want to reread it because it's been a long time you should definitely join us for that mm-hmm. we'll be discussing a couple episodes uh, or a couple chapters every episode i believe yep just like we did for let's sit together probably two to three chapters per episode yeah it's called the show will be called equivalent exchange so you'll be able to search for it in your podcast app of choice mm-hmm. i guess <laughs> Yeah, we're looking forward to it, and mm-hmm. hope, I'm so uh, excited. Will be too. For our series about Fruits Basket, if you're hesitant for some reason about spoilers or whatever, although, I mean, I guess you've listened to all this all the way through and we spoiled a lot of stuff, but <laughs> if you wanted to read it and experience it spoiler-free, the discussion was always, like, non-spoilery. Uh, for Fallout Alchemist, it will be too, because I haven't read all of the manga. I've read part of it, but it's been a long, long time. I don't even remember the last time I read it, and I never read it all the way through, so... Mm-hmm. You can join us to read it for the first time, and there won't be any spoilers, so it'll be great. Pure and untouched by spoilers. Or it'll be, like, uh, unintentional spoilers. Mm. It'll be, like, my um, <laughs> speculation, yeah. which will turn out to be true, hopefully, because, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. <laughs> you, you'll speculate, and I'll say, no comment. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny that this is happening later in the story. <laughs> so, yeah, join us for that in October. It's going to be It's going to be really fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I can't wait to listen to it. I'm really excited to, for you guys to give it the same treatment you did Fruits Basket on Let's Stay Together. And if, yeah, if you guys want to recommend these for a specific episode of Let's Stay Together, like, especially with the Sword Cinderella <laughs> episode just recently happening, definitely listen oh, yeah. to their uh, take on it, their radio play on Sword of Cinderella. That was a really hilarious treat. Uh, I loved in the, the blooper section you guys were seeing the parody of Part of Your World with Hanajima singing about Niki Niki Niki. We recruited, so it's normally just me and Kayla, we recruited a couple friends for that one to help us uh, do our, yes, radio play, I guess. <laughs> 
we acted out the <laughs> play, which was really fun. That was so much fun, it was, actually. Yeah. It was a good episode. Well, you were like definitely ill at I the was, time, but... which I think only helped your portrayal of Grumpy Kyo, yes. I think. <laughs> but yeah, that's right. We were singing by Yakiniku. I, sometimes I still think about that, and it was hilarious. <laughs> oh, <that was> <laughs> thank you so fun. much for having us. For Thank you so much for um for one of the earliest like really positive reviews that we had on our show was from your comments on manga mavericks so thank you so much for that and also thanks for having us this has been really fun i love talking about furuba and it was great i don't know it was nice to just revisit it once again <laughs> another for another three hours <laughs> still more hours of fruits basket to yeah. talk about <laughs> i feel like you, if we read it again in 10 years we'd have new things to uh-huh. say too so you know <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think this is a, one of the stories that grows yeah. with you. And thank you. Same here. Like, I was really excited when I found your guys' show because there just wasn't a lot of podcasts that really go deep dive on, like, classic shoujo series mm-hmm. in particular, series like Fruits Basket. So I was really excited that you guys started one up. And now I've noticed that there are other, like, mm-hmm. podcasts started up on, like, classic shoujo and even more fruits basket podcasts so i think like the more discussion there is out there the yeah. better because this is a series that a lot of perspectives can be weighed in on and there's so much to explore and love so yeah again thank you guys but you know this was a lot of fun i wish we could continue talking <laughs> about it but you know as things go like things change we have to <laughs> leave and part ways but Perhaps our paths will Perhaps. in the future. But until then, I'll let people know uh, your Twitter handles. Did, did you guys let you, them know uh, where to find? Let's see together. Uh, on, let me uh, find Twitter it. Twitter. <laughs> or... I'm so, so professional. Also, we don't have one for uh, equivalent exchange yet, but you should be able to search it. Oh, we will post it. So our, our Twitter for let's stay together is at stay together pod so you can follow us on twitter for updates there we also have a tumblr which i think is also stay together pod or stay together podcast we don't have a twitter handle set up for full Metal alchemist or full Metal alchemist podcast yet but you can get updates there we'll probably cross post that there yeah real preparation is you know <laughs> it's hard sometimes <laughs> i can confirm that it's stay together podcast on tumblr Okay, nice. Good. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So definitely check them out there. And again, wish we could stay together, (laughs) but, you know, this has been a fun (laughs) banquet, a fun party, but now we must part ways. All right. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thanks again to Ellen and Kayla for joining me to discuss Fruits Basket. 
it was such a joy to finally experience this story in Falls to the Manga, and it was a pleasure to discuss the series with fans as passionate and insightful as Ellen and Kayla. But like we said, Fruits Basket is such a deep well of themes and emotions that you can spend hours immersed in it, and that's exactly what Ellen and Kayla have done in Let's Stay Together, where they've reviewed the entirety of the manga alongside ongoing coverage of the anime. It's a great show if you want a chapter-by-chapter deep dive on the manga, one of the only Fruits Basket podcasts of its kind, and again, you gotta listen to the radio play performance of Sword of Cinderella, because it is hilarious. But on the subject of Fruits Basket podcasts and analysis, there's a couple of others I'd like to recommend for further listening in this episode's community shoutouts. First up, for a funny Fruits Basket focused show primarily going through the anime, check out Soma So Good by host Million Sophie. They've got great banner and riffs on the show, and while they love the series, they aren't shy about lambasting the parts they don't like, mixing in some witty humor with solid criticism. They've started with season two and have circled their way back around to season one, so if you're in the mood to revisit the series, their show links for a great companion piece. For more takes on the manga, check out Mongover Analyze episode on the series. Host Sabrina runs a solo focused deep dive on various individual manga, other podcasts, other series she covered on her podcast, include Assassination Classroom, Death Note, Naruto Boys Over Flowers, and in her Fruits Basket episode, she really digs into how Fruits Basket plays with common shoujo tropes and archetypes and adds depth to them so to kind of subverts or plays with them in the story, really focusing in on how the story is written to suit how the story explores its themes. Sabrina's scripts are really tight and dense and brimming with insightful analysis and are a great overview of why Fruits Basket stands out as a shoujo manga. But for even more in-depth convo on the manga in the context of shoujo, you should definitely check out the shoujo and tell retrospectives on the series where Ashley brought in Jacob Chapman to discuss it. Jacob is a longtime fan of Fruits Basket, and he has so many great insights on the series and a truly personal perspective on it. And when he describes how he can relate to things he's experienced in his own life, in the situations in the series, I really find it affecting emotional. And over their three episodes, they're able to dig so deep into the themes and the characters in the series, and so these podcasts are just absolute must-listens. And for even more of Jacob's takes on the series, you gotta read his episodic reviews of the anime on ANN. He covered every episode of the first season, and the first third of the second, and explored themes and story beats in exhaustive detail. Jacob's passion and love for the series truly comes through in every line of his reviews, and are loving tributes to the sections of it. But you should keep reading on the ANN reviews for Lorna Sini's reviews of the remainder of the second season, because she also brings a season-cycle perspective on the show from parents' perspective that I think is really enriching and a great perspective to think on as well. But also on the subjects of podcasts that get a little personal, Queering the Guillotine's episode on the show's first season is a great listen. Host Trevor had seen the entire first series but not read the manga while other host Alex hadn't experienced the series at all, and they were joined by a guest uh, who had read the manga. So it was a great spectrum of different experiences and relationships to the material that made for a good conversation. The highlight of the episode is 
Probably when Trevor relates a personal anecdote about his family that made Mojimiji's story resonate with them real lot, and it really goes to show how true to life a lot of the emotions and relationships portrayed in Fruits Basket really can be, and how they can so deeply resonate with people. But for a take on the original Fruits Basket anime, I want to recommend the Phantomated Podcast episode on it. You know, the scumbag director of the show aside, I do feel like that first anime adaptation of Fruits Basket has a lot of charm and beauty to it that does hold up beyond nostalgia, and I think hosts Emma and Kelly do a great job gushing over it and celebrating it, because it is a good show. And I appreciated their thoughts on it and a perspective on it that was pretty positive. And I do encourage people to check out that original show. I think it's worth revisiting. But lastly, I'll recommend a couple of anime feminist articles focused on the series for further reading, touching on some topics we only briefly went over in our discussion, namely the relationship between sex, love, and power relationships, particularly as explored in the Akito Kareno Shiguri Triangle and the Harjo Min relationship, Toru's character arc and how she realized that she needs to become more comfortable thinking about her own happiness and taking care of herself and proactively vocalizing and pursuing her wants and desires, and a piece on how toxic masculinity and mental health is explored in the series through many of the male characters' initial reluctance to be open about their feelings, and the trauma that they're going through instead of putting on airs of hostility and composure around each other while only letting their emotional guards down around Toru, and how Yuki in particular slowly addresses and heals from his post-traumatic stress. And all these are incredibly thoughtful articles that go into great detail on some of the series' most powerful themes and topics, and are great supplemental reads that help you appreciate them even better. And finally, my final shout-out isn't Fruits Basket related, but it brings things back to Ellen Kayla, because once again, I am recommending their FMA-focused show, Equivalent Exchange. As Ellen mentioned, it's her first time going through the manga, with Kayla having gone through it before. They cover two chapters at a time in the same format as Let's Stay Together, and they're currently past doublet, and are currently at the introduction of the Jing characters, so... They're getting to some really exciting story stuff. I've really been enjoying listening to their thoughts on the show, and I think you will as well. But with those shoutouts hollered out at you for all y'all to listen to or read later at your leisure, I think it's just about time to wrap up the show and pile on the years. You can find me on Twitter as at Lamariasha, and pretty much everywhere I'm at by that name. Wherever there's a Lum Ramiyasha, that's where you can find me. You can also read my manga reviews on all.com. We've got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews coming out. So look forward to more on there. And you can also check out my art if you enjoy the art I do for the show on my Instagram, at SidArtWorks. But for the podcast itself, you can find Manga Mavericks on Twitter, at Manga underscore Mavericks, on Tumblr, Manga Mavericks at Tumblr.com, and on YouTube, you just slash C slash Manga Mavericks, or just search for the channel in the search bar, you'll find it. We're also on every podcasting platform you can think of, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it, we're probably on it, and if you'd be so inclined, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a rating review to help us grow and reach warm hearts and ears, and as a reminder, if you do write us a review through now through the 24th, that does give you an entry into our giveaway. Potentially, you can have three entries into our giveaway. One by taking the survey, one by writing us a review, and one by just emailing us your thoughts on the podcast and your favorite moments and memories. And you can email your thoughts on the show and any feedback to have to our email at mangamavericks.gmail.com. 
and we really appreciate it, not just in the context of you know our upcoming celebration, but in general. We love to get your guys' feedback because it helps us improve the show, make things even better. Let us know what we should be covering next and what we can improve on. And another way you can help us make this show better is by supporting us on Patreon, where we offer a variety of tier options you can subscribe to us for, a slew of perks and privileges, including early access to select podcasts at our $2 tier and monthly bonus podcasts at our $5 tier. In fact, $2 subscribers were able to listen to this Fruits Basket podcast over a month early, so, you know, if you want to check out some early podcasts definitely go on there we got a podcast on there that's been up for a few months early our blank canvas retrospective with jenny mckeon and that actually should come out this month but you can still listen to it now early a week or two in advance of when it's coming out on our patreon could have for the last couple months but also on our $5 tier, as a reminder, we have our monthly bonus pods and our current monthly bonus pod series is the Saint Seiya retrospective that Colton and Doctor are doing. They're going through the series two lines at a time. They are going to be wrapping up the Poseidon arc this month and getting into Hades in a little bit. So you'll definitely want to check in for their thoughts on that. There really is a lot to look forward to on this podcast and in this show just in the weeks ahead, the year ahead as we approach our fifth anniversary. We have just so much planned and we're so excited. But until next time, until the next exciting thing we talk to you guys about, this has been the 146th episode of the Manga Mavericks Podcast and we'll see you in the next one. Sayonara!